Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You know, I saw a commercial for On the Basis of Sex that, that had a pull quote, the best movie of the year. From who? Isn't Peter it? Roberts? Isn't it? Isn't it two weeks from, into 2019? I bet I bet it's from... If I, Am I wrong thinking that Pete Hammond was thanked in the Green Book Golden Globe acceptance speech? You know, I think I I'm right. Surprised. I think I'm right. And so uh, my guess is that Pete Hammond said that on the basis of sex is the I was I was too far away from the TV. I couldn't see the, the byline. Oh, that's fair. Okay, I need to stop looking at that and look at this. Anyway. I don't want to like go too long on what we're on like an intro. But oh, I completely I concur. Would like to say I listen to the Ankler podcast because I like the Ankler, which is like a weekly newsletter for the film industry, and it's just like bitchy, catty stuff. But having started listening to the podcast, I've learned it's pretty broy. Is it Straight Boys? Uh huh. And it's just one guy. I forget what his name is, but one straight boy. Mm-hmm. It's and like it's like split though. It's like one guy. Yeah. But like ten. And it was guys. like he had inside. This him. is a promo for Glass. Seth Abramovich <laughs> on. He had Emily Yoshida on. He always oh. has one person on. So good guess. And yeah. the most recent one, I was I was just like it was just like rolling through, and I wasn't looking at who was the. We guest. know it was you. It was me. We already heard. We already heard the episode. Thank yeah. you. It was Jeffrey Wells. Oh, and yikes. he just went off about PC culture and film criticism. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I am of two minds about him, which <gasps> is that whenever I see a tweet saying like, in the new year, let's just not talk about him. Let's not give him any attention. I always yeah. smash the like. I'm like, yes, we cannot give this cretin <laughs> any mm-hmm. more attention. And then on the other hand, I just can't look away. I know. I'm so That's repulsed really by is. him. It's a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see the color version of Cold War. I would like to see the color version Did of Ida, color version of the Artiste. He said these things. Yeah, don't you know? There's a color version of Roma out there. Oh, that's right. I yeah, remember. I remember that. Yeah, I, I like. We don't. We really don't He's need to get so into it. I, I stupid. Yikes! And I, he <clears throat> he was just like, you know, it's all very well and good to have good politics, but. You know, the movie has to work or it doesn't work. And, like, when I saw it at TIFF, everyone leapt to their feet at the end of Green Book. Like, he's it like, was a rock concert. He's like, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> like a rock concert. Literally said, like My favorite documentary concert. is Triumph of the Will. Oh. And my favorite narrative film is D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. Yeah. They just, they sing. Mm-hmm. They just sing. And it's just like, well... I get the That's going to get taken out of context. To, <laughs> well, Someone's going to pull that quote and be oh, like, no, d- look what Daniel said. No, don't cut it, but like that, that will be used against me later. We uh, be leverage. I get the impulse to value form over content, but that's not how that works. Well, it also, that, that is predicated on the idea that Green Book has a compelling form guess, in the first place. That's true. Right. Even... If it wasn't super racist, Here's, it's the most boring road so movie bad. ever it looks, made. I, it looks like it was in Marwin. So <laughs> Marwin characters. So I laughed so hard I couldn't breathe at the 
Viga, Viga finding out he's got a flat tone, he goes, <laughs> Literally. Should we just quick gibberish. should we just quickly shit on Green Book since it won the Golden yeah. Globe and we've all finally seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just very quickly. I just I'll just start with Yeah, I'll That's like, me just like, shitty uh, on it. What? Is that a movie? <laughs> Not a movie I saw. That's garbage. I want to quick just quickly say how can you start your film at the Copacabana and think that's going to be like any sort of, how do you think that's going to be a strong opening bid? Everyone's seen Goodfellas. Obviously. I don't even remember how it opens. It opens. The most generic. There's a lounge singer who is singing a song that I, I I really need the lyrics. I don't want to accidentally talk out of turn, but there are some problematic aspects of the lyrics that sort of, uh, lean into the idea of like getting to know people and definitely like black magic and it's just it's just fully insane and tacky yeah the first frame of this movie is gross actually here's what here's what i'll say about green book as related to the speeches as i've said before on this program again free space and the podcast bingo as i've said before i am a big fan of linda cardellini i actually think she's good in the movie she doesn't have okay. anything to do. Yeah, but, but what she does have when good. she pulls those glasses out of the trash can, hell yeah, I'm effective. I believed it, but <laughs> but I it, it, there's it, but it's not. I mean, it's not like an amazing. It's not even a great performance. She just does a good job. But did you notice that the Green Book folks, whenever they went up to accept an award, they were like, "And Linda, oh, Linda, Linda is really the heart and soul of yeah. this movie." And I'm like, she like when he's she, Mahershala was like, "We only had a couple scenes together," but well, no, that's different. I mean, I, 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 when when Nick Vallelonga said it, it annoyed, oh. it annoyed me because it's like, it's just such a patriarchal view, patriarchal viewpoint uh-huh. because she has nothing to do in the movie, and I would think that the beating heart of the movie is the relationship it's between Mahershala the two men. Lead. Yeah, and yeah. especially the lead of the movie, and especially Mahershala, who's going to win a supporting Oscar. I, yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm not totally convinced. I, I will say that I'm more convinced that Christian Bale is going to win over Bradley Cooper, but um, yeah. I don't know. I just I. I I, I was so annoyed by the idea that Linda Cardellini is the heart and soul of this movie, and that's only because she plays the wife waiting at home receiving love letters. Mm-hmm. You right. have to you have to buy into the gender up pathos of those stupid letters in the first place, and or the just whole how much movie they love each other. ends on a joke about the letters. Like, thanks From for Linda. writing them. Yes, thanks for helping with the letters. And as I've said, fade out. <laughs> it's you know it's just crazy they were such great lifelong friends and yet at the end when we get pictures of everybody there's no picture of them together mm-hmm. at least photoshop Could, one together exactly just try just lie. i mean there's just so, lie nick there are so many lies in that movie already why not go when i go full drunk? linda linda is throw a towel down real quick linda yeah, yeah, is splashing water in. about all right that's enough about green book yeah, now on to the other golden globe winner bohemian rhapsody you're the only one who's seen it i have nothing to say great. say say one quick thing um, it's not as egregious as Green Book, but still pretty egregious. Do you think he's gonna win? No, Rami. He He'll get not. nominated. I'm I'm so furious, but I I'm so overjoyed about the Glenn win and the Glenn speech. A lot of good happened at the Globes, and a lot of terrible happened. I feel like it was mostly terrible, but but Glenn is that it was shining. Just the women were correct. The women, yes, yeah. no, I agree. And Olivia they all gave great Glenn. Speeches. And Regina, they were all yeah, it was absolutely. Great. And I haven't seen Escape at Danamora apart from this clip where Benicio del Toro is like, <laughs> like is he doing Nicole Kidman in Destroyer? Kind of. I haven't seen the only thing I've seen of Danamora is the billboard yes. with just Patricia's face, yeah, just I, looking doughy. But I keep every time we see it, I think it's Jennifer Coolidge. 
Oh yeah, it's same. The hair color. That's not Patricia's I'm, hair color. I'm just yeah. obsessed that Patricia Arquette won because yeah. anytime, so anytime she gets up on stage, I'm always thrilled. Well, she's a great actress. Vicky loves Patricia Arquette. I do too. She texted me about. Uh, I can't control when I say the F word either. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia Arquette had one of the great tweets of the last year, which was she was like. I can't believe I felt for Jill Stein's recount money. <laughs> She's like, God, I feel bad about it. I can't believe it. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Because I believe, Pat, you know, Patty's so political on mm-hmm. Twitter. She was like, everybody, we just got to pitch in on this. Yeah. Like, everybody give what you can. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge her for it. I yeah. love the remorse. So can't believe it. Oh, Patty. You bunch of bastards. Let's do it again. A bunch of bastards. Uh, I can't wait to tweet that as the SAG Awards begin. <laughs> Yikes. Is very, that this Sunday? It's no. next it's this Sunday. It's, 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 actually, it's, it's a couple Sundays away. It's the last Sunday. I thought the, the critics chose. Oh, the independent spirits yeah. of the day before the Oscars. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I've got a packed Sunday. Who cares about the Critics' Choice Awards? It's Those just, don't matter. They do, though. They do are, they? No. They are predictive. They are th- they. Their whole point is that they they are trying to be predictive. Mm-hmm. There's also no over. It's similar. There are more members in that voting body than there are in the Golden Globes, but yeah. it's still none of them are in the Academy. I know there's no overlap, but it is it is seen as predictive. The Critics' oh. Choice Awards should be fully canceled because it's... I didn't see Lucrecia Martel in the Best Director category. I didn't see Paul Schrader in the Best Director category. Like I didn't see. And aren't those movies and uh, directors the critics love? No, that's it, it's just it's such an insult. To criticism, yeah. To be like, I thought that Peter Farrelly gave one of the best directorial. Peter Farrelly. Peter Farrelly. Hey, Peter Farrelly. Hey, Nick Balablaga. Blah blah. It's just. Mamma mia. I wonder it, how it's much his dick was out during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> just whipping it out. <laughs> and action. Zip. Well, uh, Peter. I will say that when it comes to the pacing of the film, it's quite flaccid. Oh. So I, 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 would, I, would, I would, I would believe it. But I just think that it's an insult to criticism to call this the Critics' Choice Awards, yeah. and it's also like if I'm if I'm not wrong, did, haven't they added even more nominees in each category? Which There's I'm like not, eight. Which yeah, to be clear, insane. I'm not best action to. movie. I gave six. Deadpool I, two. I did six nominees in every acting category this year because I think that it's completely arbitrary. Five. We only do it because we have five fingers on our hands. It's bullshit. It's a nice clean number. Yeah, and it's bullshit. Like I wasn't. I I'm not going to say who like was in my sixth slot for each of those, but like. I was not leaving any of them off, and I'm just because yeah. some arbitrary rule, I wasn't going to do it. But I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Critics' Choice Awards have inflated that a little bit. They do mm-hmm. like six or seven, but that, it's not the same reason. It's because they want to, they want to hedge their bets. They want the winner to have been nominated there. Yep. They want to say like, and we got twenty of twenty nominees right. in our acting category, and they're the most in the pocket of the PR people. Oh, absolutely, more even more than the Golden Globes. Yeah, because they just want. The ratings and that revenue stream, so they have to get the momentum. It has to be part of the Oscar narrative to mean anything, I, right? I, I completely agree. I'm who's, gonna do. Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Who's hosting them? That's all I want to know. Who's hosting? I don't know. Is, is Pat, it John Mulaney? I have no idea. Why don't we look it up real quick? Who did it? John Mulaney. Won't this have posted by the time that show happens? Yeah, yeah. So, so Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs Fuck did a yeah. wonderful job. Mm-hmm. And we enjoy private practices. Tay Hold on. Let me say something about Tay Diggs, who I who I respect and I enjoy. Who follows me on Twitter. <laughs> no, this is what I want to talk about. Tay Diggs <laughs> is a notorious follower on follower. So good for you that he's held on. Tay Diggs followed me on Twitter for a hot minute. And I, my understanding is that he's done that with other people too. Like you, I think I got like a Facebook friend request from Tay Diggs. But like <laughs> it like wasn't him, you know what I mean? Tay Diggs sent me a DM on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
He is following more Would people like to connect. than he has followers. I and love guess that. how many followers he has. How many? Uh, 500,000. 640,000. How many people does he follow? 662,000. What, what a, does his feed look like? <laughs> what a prince. He, probably, he doesn't read his No, feed. but I'm just... It's crazy. That's so crazy. I'm just curious. On that note... Okay, shut up. <laughs> Let's get into that. Yes, I was going to say, I want to do everybody a favor. I want to just cut this right off and jump right into it and say hello and welcome Hi. to another episode of Movies IMO. Wow. Maybe this will be another episode of Horses IMO as we go on. It will be. Who the hell knows? Well, I won't. No spoilers. Number one, lean on Pete. Let's go through. Let's go through our. <gasps> can you believe that came out in 2018? Jesus I, Christ! No, I can't. Year, that last year has been so. Can you believe long. that Steve Buscemi had two bites of his lunch? A man who's <laughs> down on his luck, cash strapped, has two bites of his lunch and walks right out. Wow! What a moment! Wow! <laughs> wow! I heard from somebody. One of the top scenes of the year for me. <laughs> I heard from somebody who was like, "Well, it's because he was leaving the food for Charlie." And I'm like, "Well." No, Charlie like, didn't. Charlie didn't want it. Charlie, no, and he, like he he wasn't he, wasn't he like picking out his food or something? Like wasn't that what the whole scene was about? It was about how he's not eating. Anyway, we've solved the mystery of Lean on Pete. I'm sure we'll read. Who ran uh, the, the uh, who was we want to know the who, woman from the woman from Leave, from Leave No, no Trace? Trace. <laughs> yeah, social the social worker from Leave No Trace. Yes, P- mowed down Pete. <laughs> Lean on Pete, and is the name of the horse. And the head- God damn it's it, not just a Pete. And the headless <laughs> woman ran over Mary Louise Parker right. in the film. Red Sparrow. <laughs> who ran name. over? But the biggest question is: Was it Patterson driving the bus who plowed down in that bending in life itself? Uh, <laughs> I have to see this movie. I don't know, but I know that Anna Paquin feels really bad about it because of Margaret. That's like what the whole movie. Oh, about. oh, god. So it. we're here to talk. Oh, my name's Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben M. It's so embarrassing that the more we do this, the more comfortable we get. And we're just, and then we just Yeah, we just stop introducing ourselves. We stop trying to promote the program. We're just trying to rake in those one-star ratings. Hell yeah. <laughs> Who are these fuckers, one-star? Hell yeah. I, I mean, I will say, and, and I, I already regret bringing this up on the microphone, but it's like, if you're going to give us a one-star rating, at least leave a bad review. At least leave a message. Sound that says, off. Yeah, Fuck you. Yeah, fuck off, faggots. <laughs> like a three is where we don't need to hear your thoughts. If you just think it's fine. We got a, it's a one. <laughs> we got a wonderful three-star review one time. Where it's our, he was like, I think it was a he. He was like, some interesting conversations to be had, but focus on audio quality. <laughs> hey, we're trying. <laughs> this, yeah, this was back. With we're our, doing this on a Give pledge. us money. This was our, yeah, you know what? Ever heard of it? Venmo is $5. <laughs> Venmo is $25 because today we are going through... Our top 25 movies of 2018. Wow. And we're doing it in 2019. Wow. Because just because the calendar year is over does not mean that we should stop talking about our favorite films from the previous year. Until it's time to talk about Glass. Hold on. I'm, gonna, I'm going to really quick do some more math and tell our listeners how many movies total between the three oh, of us. Oh, I love that. Oh, that is a fun statistic. Should we? 37. Wow. So we have, a lot of, of we have a lot of overlap. Wait, what? 37 movies total are cum- being referenced in our top 25. The cumulative oh, amount of films listed oh, this evening would I be thought 37. You meant the cumulative number of movies we all saw oh. in cinemas. Jesus. <laughs> oh, I wish I only saw 37 That would be, we are probably approaching uh, 1,000, if not over 1,000. In theaters? No. no, 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 not in theaters. Just, Total, just, we, prob- we probably I watched, are close to a thousand, if not over. I yeah. watched 307 movies this year. Yeah, I was probably I was like, like three, the, I was in the low 400s, so nice. that is probably, that's a thousand. But don't you think there's Hell a lot yeah. of overlap? 
Oh yeah. True. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, this is fascinating. True. I think that we should list individually <laughs> the thousand films that we watched together. This All right, week, from the top. This year. Yeah, the list right. out. <clears throat> Starting at A. Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Oh, we did watch that this Chittering year. Chittering Monkeys. Autumn Sonata. Okay. Anyway. Is My Grief Your Secret Pleasure. <laughs> okay, great. Let's go. Badlands. Okay, next. So we're doing our top 25 movies of the year. Um, I think it's an exciting project. I'm so glad to be here with you boys. I think before we jump hey, in. I am happy to put 2018 to bed. Right, because 2019 is going to be so much better. <laughs> Well, and of cinema, I've already got my top two of the year. And they're strong choices. Mm-hmm. And they're strong choices. Care to reveal? No. We're I'll do this next year for I'll, all lives. I'll say, I'll say, some, won't be. I'll say something at the end of the episode, but I I think this is a year where, like, I, I've almost, I, I, I think that everyone has a little bit of recency bias when it comes to lists. Like, you have yeah. to really fight against that urge yeah. to yes. not give the mule number one, for instance. Yeah. You know, I right. really it's struggled. Like, it's like disobedience was holding on for number one the entire mm-hmm. year. And then I saw the mule and I'm like, yeah, fuck these ladies. <laughs> so I, I will say at the end, but I, th- this was a year when I, my number one is a movie I saw in the first half of the year. I think that's the first time that's happened for me in quite some time. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So it'll be exciting for your. I almost said them, but I don't want to give away 2019, but mm. you're one and two. If they don't budge, that is truly magnificent and impressive because that's, that'll be a January or a February and an April release. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. My, actually, my, my, and they will be movies that I saw in September. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it, um, it's funny because one of those is a Claire Denis movie and we're going to be talking about a Claire Denis movie as we go on here, which we saw at AFI Fest together, which I feel like we've talked yeah. about 20 times Over on here. A year ago. And I just think it's, if I saw it, I saw it, now two calendar years ago but like a year and a few months ago it was on my list mm-hmm. i loved the film and then i watched it again and it jumped up like 15 spots yeah fuck yeah yeah so i'm excited that you're holding tight to i did one move after i sent you what i showed you earlier um just what are you because talking about? when we shared our lists earlier mm. today i made one move just because i was like if I think maybe a movie from April could be above a movie from November, it probably should be. Yeah. I'm probably overestimating the November movie. I think that's so yes. I made that move. Yeah. I think is that's it, smart. Is it what you referenced you were going to move? No, but I did do that move too. Uh-huh. Have a you, new move. Have you changed your list at all since we've seen it? Yes. Oh, exciting. So it's going to be, I mean. Very it's, thrilling. It's the same 25 movies, but it's a little bit of a different I order. love a roller coaster ride. I love Mine's Fatal Attraction. locked in for. Golden Globe winner, Gwen Close. Fuck yeah. Yes. I, I changed mine up until today. And I, I want to challenge everybody. I meant to do a group text ahead of time so everyone could prepare. But I would love to do a question, um, a prompt, if you will, oh for the room. I'm going to pull down my chalkboard. The pro- Well, I guess I'd be writing, not like slapping a, uh, my pointer on it. I can slap. But my question for the group is, is there one film in particular that you wish you could have made room for on your list that you just weren't able to? Yes. Well, I'd like to hear it. Um, mine, personally, would be The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Mm. Mm. A very underrated movie, IMO. I love Desiree Akhavan. I love the bisexual. I just would like her as a filmmaker represented on my list. She That movie would have been, like, my number 26. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a better way to say it. Like, what is everyone's number 26? Yeah. Mine would have been mis- mis- Miseducation. Benjamin? This wasn't my number 26, but this is the movie that I just thought of when you asked that question, which is Lynn Shelton's Outside In, which is a movie I oh, yes. stand for pretty hard. And it's not, a, it's it's like a fine movie, but 
I think about it a lot, mm-hmm. and I it moved me. Your sister's sister was my number three of it's that just, year. It's Lynn a very Shelton is an extraordinary filmmaker. Movie. I don't think she gets enough credit yeah. as a, as a, as an American humanist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she. I haven't seen Outside In, but the films of hers that I have seen, I'm just so struck by the character work and how they push the narrative forward. While also having like, I don't know. I don't know. I know kind of what Outside In is about, and I would think that it's the same dynamic that I'm thinking of in your sister's sister here. But it's the kind of thing where character motivation becomes plot rather than characters reacting to plot. Yeah. Like the decisions mm-hmm. that characters make are what drive the drama forward. Yeah. I don't it's think I've ever a, seen a Lynn Shelton. It's just such a you beautiful would love, little movie. You would love your sister's sister. I think sister. you would too. Because Adam Scott's in it. I forgot he was in it. Is he even in it? It'll, I might have made that up. It'll, it'll be like your number one of the decade. It's, of last decade. Wow. It's really good. It's Maybe this really decade. good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I think I? it was like 2011. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think right. I'm thinking of your idiot brother. Maybe. I think that you are, but that's Paul Rudd, isn't it? Is, oh, and Adam, Adam Scott, Scott and Catherine Hahn, and who directed your idiot, my idiot brother? That because that's oh, also I used to know that. Well, we do have Google. Yeah, we can give it a shot. I'm gonna look it up. Jesse Peretz. Oh, that's oh. that's why I'm confused. Interesting. Yeah. That's compelling. Anyway, great. I will your watch. Your sister, a Lynn sister is SAG Award nominee Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt, who should have won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Rachel Getting Married. She's just always great. Uh, and it's a tight 90. It's beautiful. Yeah. I um, can't wait to watch it. My number 20. I would like to see it. My number 26 is Jonathan Demme's Stop Making Sense, which I just oh. saw for the first time on the big screen. Oh, that's cute. I think that Stop Making Sense and Beachella are the two greatest music documentaries of all time. Yes. Are just concert movies. Um, and I recently saw it on Saturday afternoon at the Arena Cine Lounge, not to get too regional, straight in the heart of Hollywood. You've you've been to the new Arena Cine Lounge? I'd never been before, yeah. I haven't been to the new it's one. Really it's really nice. nice. I, okay, so plug for the Arena Cine Lounge, um, not to get too regional. The snacks are lacking. Okay. Do, eat ahead of time. You can only get cold coffee and cold tea. Ew. Like pre-bottled. No, it's fine. Yeah. I had a really nice peach ginger tea. Oh, I thought you meant like, like it's supposed to be hot, but it's cold. Mm. No, 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 no. And like the popcorn <laughs> is pre-bagged. I like had a oh. Kiva bar before I got there, and then I had... um. Uh, peach ginger green tea sat in the front row it's beautiful it's it's like five rows of seats um yeah that's how the old one was the screen is on fully on the ground um like there's no riser or anything and um it's kind of charming like when people stand up they get in the way of the projector so you have to sort of very Emma Stone. it's very expensive so oh. but it's one of the only e-ticketing venues left on movie pass it is i anyway, canceled movie pass i'm about I'm, I'm about to cancel it. i want i want to i want to use my three left in the pay period and then i'm canceling it'll let yeah. you do that that's you, what I. Oh, you can okay. cancel and it, it'll tell you. Well, then that's what I'm going to do. You're fine until the end of this paper. I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, creative by Brandon Kirby. Thank you. Season three coming soon. Thank you. Uh, my 26 is Cold War, which is a movie that I haven't stopped thinking about almost every day since I saw it. And Same. I, if I had gotten in the rewatch, which I really was desperately trying to do before this, I'm positive it might have even cracked the top 20. But wow. I wasn't able to, and I had to honor the films that I had on my list. Um, right. I. I just think it's a crushing love story and it has so, so many good. striking moments, not just musically, but soulfully. And and it might have the moment of the year for me, which is the, or the scene of the year for me, which is the uh, dancing in the bar mm-hmm. when he's not paying attention to her and yep. she just doesn't give a shit and dances on the That's tables. Some hot shit. It's really great. That's um, a very Jenna Rollins scene. Let's continue comparing actresses to Jenna Rollins yeah. in this year. And that, is a very general. I think moment. Joanna Kulig should be compared to Jenna Rollins, but yeah. I, I do get a little annoyed um, when we're comparing <laughs> fresh faces, unknown actresses, people who are just breaking like stars who are born mm-hmm. to people who just look like them physically. Yes. She is giving big Jenna Rollins energy, 
but she doesn't make me think of Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, just because she looks just like her and has charisma, mm. I don't necessarily think that's your analog. Yeah. But, you know, everyone can think what they think. I love yeah. Cold War. I mean, I'm a huge Eda fan, so I, I will rewatch Cold War when my back is not broken. And we'll be talking about Cold War in, in a little bit. Oh my God, fantastic. I wonder if Pavel will get the Oscar now. That would be, that would be very, I mean, not surprising. You have to get 87 are... first place votes to get a best record. Think of all the new international members. Yeah. And That's think about true. how much. Like, the... Who's Lee Chang Dong voting for? Not Peter Farrelly, I bet. Right. I love that Lee Chung Dong is in the Academy. Right. right. Yes. Isn't... No, that's very true. And and he's, yeah, he's predicted now to take that fifth sp- slot, which would be, like, it would be incredible. Insane, it think... would be insane, but I think it could happen. I'm wondering who Hong Sing Su is going to vote uh, for. Do you think, like, Aliche Rohrwacher or himself? <laughs> <laughs> for any of his for movies. Of... Well, what were the Hong Sing Su movies this year? What, what did Hong Claire's Camera do? the day after... Hotel by the River is next year. Yes. Which there I, was a third one this I year. I will I say, I think Hotel by the River will bake my list next year. Nice. I loved that film. And I think it's better than Claire's Camera and The Day After. It's, it's, he's only made two movies in between, but I think it's his best film, best film since On the Beach at Night Alone. Which was only one year ago. Exactly. It's like, yeah, exactly. He's already made 17 it's movies. prolific. He has. Very prolific. He was, so uh, you said Lee Chung Dong. I said Hong Sing Soo. Who are the other new members of the Academy? Like of the of the, of the world oh, cinema variety. That's a good question. I don't know, but they're probably all voting for Powell. I think that I think that I think Powell might sneak in because the older Academy also gave him the cinematography nod and the win for Ida. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. He kind of has that Yorgos Lanthimos thing mm-hmm. with the Academy gradually catching on. And Amazon's really pushing Cold War. Have you seen they the are. billboard in Koreatown? Yeah, it's everywhere. I'm obsessed with it. It's yeah. right by the glass billboard with the big old chicken, the big plastic oh, yeah. chicken on top of the roof right <laughs> next am, to it. You are the chicken. I am the chicken yelling, glass, in front of the billboard. Oh, my God. All right, shall we kick it off? Yes. So without further ado, those are our number 26s. We are going to each individually list our 25s. So we're doing our top 25s. We're counting it down. The countdown has begun. We're each going to do our 25 through 16s, and then we will go individually 15 through 1. And by the time we're done, I think High Life will be out because this will probably only take yeah. four months to record, right? <laughs> yeah. how, how long are we going so far? Only 30 minutes. I, I feel fully responsible. So, Brandon, why don't you kick it off with your okay. top 25 films of the calendar year 28 Twan. Okay, thank you. Hello. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I said you're welcome today at the office and just chuckled to myself like a moron. <laughs> you're welcome. Let me say real quick because I don't... Oh, no, no. We are going to talk about The Mule at some point, right? Mm-mm. No. Whose list is this? It's yeah. not anyone's list. I just want to say it's nothing... It's my number one. It's so tacky to like talk about your own podcast on your podcast, but nothing has brought me greater joy than listening back to The Mule episode for edits and just hearing Brandon do Clint. All right. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Number 25. Yeah. The Other Side of the Wind. It's a miracle this movie exists. Um, True. Number 24, uh, Sandy Tan's Shirkers. Nice. Um, a documentary that um, really moved me. I watched it at my desk on my laptop on Netflix. Hot. And I was very moved. Um, and men suck. That's the moral there. Number 23, Leave No Trace, Deborah Granick's um, movie about, about empathy, which we're going to talk about. Uh, number 22 is First Man, which 
I think has the best score of the year. Thank you. <laughs> ben just rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> Nicholas Bertel is shaking. No, it's a very good score, but it's there's better ones. <laughs> support, so, but we should support our family. Okay. I that's I listen to Moon Landing just like in my car. I'm just like landing the moon as in my par- park. parallel parking on Wilshire Boulevard. <laughs> yes, I'm landing Not on the moon. Not to get too Regis and Kelly. I'm about very it. moved. That scene is one of the best scenes of the year, the moon landing, and you know I'm glad it fell off the Oscar race because you know I think other movies deserve to get attention there, but it still is a very very good movie, and I'm glad it exists. Number twenty one. Hereditary. Uh, that movie um, made me physically, like there was only, the way that movie physically made me feel was unlike anything else this year. Like I was sweating, I was clammy, I was like, my heart was racing during the the Tony Collette like monologue at the dinner table. It, it shook me to my core. I'm so glad that you're standing hereditary because I love this movie and it fell off for me because there were a lot of other movies I liked better. But I rewatched that dinner scene recently and it made me think of Autumn Sonata. Like I, I love the Bergman influences in Hereditary so much and I think that the cinematography is some of the best of the year. But uh, What's-His-Face is sleepywalking through the movie. What's his name? Gabriel Byrne. Yes, he's sleepwalking. Okay, number 20 is Crazy Rich Asians. This movie just brings me... So much joy. Um, I think it's romantic. I think it's fun. I think it's one of the most like vibrant, um, just feel-good movies of the year. And that just brought me joy. It's the type of, sorry, it's the type of Lubitsch studio comedy we should be making much more of. Many yeah, more of, I think. Yeah, like it's a big romantic studio comedy that aren't made anymore. And it has a diverse cast, which is amazing. Lo- I just love that it... I'm doing the thing we're not supposed to be doing, but we're not going to talk about it later. Ed. So no, this is it. I love that. I love that it uses. I, I love that. I love that. I'm trying to like say I love that love something, and I'm getting choked over my words. But that love enough can sustain a plot. Yes, it's about a lot of things. It's about identity, but it's. I, I just I love that it's a big studio movie about a couple getting married. Yep, that totally works and has a wonderful the ensemble. most conventional plot, and yet it feels like something we've never seen before. Which I think is exciting. Good wedding. Good wedding, IMO. True. Let's get Michelle nominated for that Oscar. Yeah, right. That ring. She wore it to the Globes. Did you see? Um, Okay, number 19, Zama. We will be talking about later. 18, First Reformed. 17, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, 16, Steve McQueen's Widows. A thriller. A political heist movie i don't know it's very good i love this movie um elizabeth dubecki's great viola davis is great Brian viola's Tate. back in the oscar conversation i know i think she's gonna get from it. i think it's BAFTA. because of the bafta because the there's overlap but let's yeah let's, i i think that she gets the fifth slot because i think that i think that tony is a passion vote i think that mary poppins has fizzled mm-hmm. i don't know the box office but no one's talking about it anymore and i think that yulitsa should get in. She's not on my personal... Viola is on my personal ballot. Yelitsa Aparicio is not. That really depends on Roma being the juggernaut that we've been thinking it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. I still think it's Yelitsa, but I think Viola is now She's possible. back in the conversation. That's exactly <laughs> right. I think it's Yelitsa too, but I think Viola's I mean, right that after. would be great to get some widow's representation at the Oscars be because it would otherwise be completely shut out, which is a travesty. Can I tell you how I justified leaving widows off my list? How? It's so gross. Like, I, I should be I should be spanked in public. But 
I know that it's going to have that. I know it's going to have the heat effect where 15 years from now, everyone's going to wonder why it didn't get a lot of Oscar nominations. And it's just like held up as a shining example of the heist film and the politics of it will be remembered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, well, I can just leave it off my list. I'll just be wrong with everybody else. (laughs) You can come back to it years later like everyone else. Well, I'm talking about it right now. It's number 16. I should stand. Okay. Thank you. That's it. That was your 16. Okay. Bendela. This is Ben. My number 25 is a movie that gets made fun of a lot on the internet, and that's Beautiful Boy, which (laughs) I think is a fantastic movie. And I noticed that the Beautiful Boy poster, not post, billboard outside of Paramount has been changed to one that is Timothy specific. They've pivoted to the one Oscar nomination they're going to get. Yes. I just think it's a beautiful story about addiction that's done in a way that uh, really resonates with me and a lot of people find it hack a bit but it really moved me and more tyranny gives a phenomenal performance my number 24 is mr gay syria which yes thank you yeah. a movie that i saw at outfest this year yes sir and i can't remember who directed it i'm gonna click on it and they will tell me she it's asa toprak a-y-s-e but it's like Isa. It's the same concept of name. Um, it's about, it follows four-ish, I can't remember exactly, gay men in living in exile in Turkey from Syria doing a pageant called Mr. Gay Syria to bring to raise money and awareness for gay men living in Syria. And it's a really powerful and moving portrait, and it moves like a narrative, even though it's a documentary. And Asa is a phenomenal young filmmaker and I hope that this movie gets some sort of distribution because it has none in America. And it, yet wow. it has so many fans. Yeah. I'm so glad it's you're... It's pro- so good. Oh, it was one of the movies I think we were proudest to show at Outfest this year and another movie that is probably like my 27 or 28 and I think we'll talk about it in a second for you but uh, is We the Animals. That's not on my list anymore. Which was our... Uh, um, our U.S. centerpiece at Outfest last year and I think it's an it's astonishing really film. That would have been in like my 25 to 30. It's in my 25 to 30 as well. Um, Me too, probably. I think it's astounding. Number 23 for me is The Rider, which we will discuss later. Number 22 is Shirkers, which I just saw the other night at the New Beverly because Quentin asked for a 35 millimeter print and Netflix said, sure, (laughs) great. Here you go. And um, Kevin Kwan, who wrote Crazy Rich Asians, interviewed Sandy as at the screening oh really and they made him introduce it and he was like i haven't seen the movie yet enjoy (laughs) (laughs) um my 21 is cold war yes 20 madeline's madeline 19 mission impossible fallout 18 first reformed 17 what you gonna do when the world's on fire? Which Speak is about that for a little bit. The Roberto Minervini film that also, how does it not have distribution? He's like a thing now. Brandon and I are dying to see it. It's yeah. crazy, but it's um, it follows in. I believe it's there are different groups in Mississippi and Louisiana that they're following. It's the New Black Panthers. It's a woman who owns a local bar. It's a couple other people, and it's just a really powerful humanist moving portrait of black life in the American South in 2018. Um, There was some controversy at TIFF because at the press screening, they aired it, screened it, aired it, with subtitles that put 
the vernacular into proper uh, American English grammar. Do we know whose choice that was? I don't know. Um, but th- um, they did not do it for the public screening that uh, Roberto couldn't come because he was very ill, but the producers came and a couple of the people in the film came. And I don't know, it's just, it's a very powerful movie. I hope it also gets picked up for distribution. Um, Maybe the Acropolis cinema will play. Yeah, it's something, it's probably something like that. But that's frustrating because it sounds like a movie that that would resonate with a... I'm not going to say this movie should be playing at every multiplex yeah. in America, but it seems like a movie that would resonate with every city in America. Yeah. Netflix yet, it, should pick it up because everyone could see it. That's a great call. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a great call. But it will probably play... Netflix, are you listening? At the, at the Quad yeah. in New York. Yeah. And it'll play at the Acropolis. At, yeah. Where do they play now? Downtown, Downtown Independent. Independent. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm um, excited to see that one. And then my 16 is Private Life. Private Life. Private Life. Which we I, will get to. The song, or the film that was adapted from the Grace Jones song. I think it was brave. Mm-hmm. Very brave. I think that's great. I think that's brave. I'll, Your turn. I'll do mine. Um, so n- these are my 25 through 16. So number 25 is, I would say it's the most exciting debut by a documentary filmmaker this year, if it weren't for someone that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, yes. which is Ramel Ross's Hale County this morning, this evening. This movie... I want to say knocked me for a loop, but I don't want to <gasps> ape our good friend Peter Travers. Hi, Peter. I'm just obsessed with the with the imagery in this film. Um, it blends like the surreal and the real, and yet focuses on just like the everyday lives of the community in Hale County. But more so, I'm just kind of obsessed how the camera, the camera to me seems to tell a story the same way that we look at our own lives, where everything has sort of a heightened sense of importance, and 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 we focus on certain details. And and it has one of the best shots of the year, which Ben and I both love, which is this smoke, fire. this smoke from a fire rising behind this tree at, uh, in silhouette. But also, there's the sound of that uh, of when Ross is getting the shot. I think is just as important, which is him talking. Uh, Ross, who's an African American filmmaker, talking to um, uh, an older African American man who's watching him film, and is like, "What are you doing? Are you making a movie?" And Ross is like, "Yes, because we have to tell our own stories if we're going to." There should be more people telling our own stories. So I fucking love Hale County this morning, this evening, and I forgive it some of its, some of its, some of its sections because I just think it's such a striking, exciting new voice. Anyway, I won't talk as much about the other movies. Twenty four, uh, Alice Rohrwacher's Happy as Lazaro. I know we'll talk about that I'm later. So glad that you may put it on the list. Well, it had to go on the list. It's we'll talk about it when 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 it comes up with you. In four hours. In four hours, we'll talk about it. 23 is Paddington 2. I know we'll talk about that later. I think this is one of the most important movies of last year in the way that it deals with themes of Brexit and themes of othering and the way that it deals with the prison industrial complex. I think it's extraordinary. We'll talk about it in a little bit. We 22, will. the only time we'll hear this movie talked about today is Cradley Booper's A Star is Born. I'm not going to say anything about it, even though I love it. 21. It has one of the best scenes of the year. I mean, I I've talked about how much I admire the almost improvisational uh, scenes that Booper is able to ca- able to capture. And I think that he and Lady Gaga give extraordinary performances of real emotional depth. Um, 21, Bing Lu's uh, Minding the Gap, which we'll talk about. 20 is Andrew Bajalski's Support the Girls, which features one of the best uh, leading actress performances of the year with Regina. That didn't make your list, did it? No, it would have been 27. Sure. Yeah. Regina Hall is astonishing that movie but i i think that i think it's an important movie right now just in that I, well when we talk about black Klansmen, i'm going to bring this up but 
as unions continue, union membership continues continues to dwindle in this country because of the the corporate attacks against them, and people like Scott Walker and Wisconsin who stripped collective bargaining away. I think it's so important to focus on a movie that focuses on the daily travails of the American worker, and there's a lot about gender in there as well. Uh, 19, Tamara Jenkins' Private Life. Number 18, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Love it. Number 17, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. And number 16, Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline. Nice. Most of which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Listen to the Eighth Grade episode if you want to hear <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> if you want to hear more about Eighth Grade. I like how you skipped right over it. Love it. Thank you. Love Next. it. Bye. Listen to the episode. I've never <laughs> heard it. Bye. Bye. Great. All right, Brandon, 15. Ah! We're kicking it off. Pavel Palakowski, Palakowski's Day. Cold War, starring. Hold on, I have to pull Joanna that Kulig. In. Joanna Kulig and the guy, Tomas Colt. I still regret that I don't have the technical ability to <laughs> take a video of when she auditions for the group at the beginning and to play the ahs from shallow <laughs> i tried so it, hard at the point where they're like do a different song yes. internet <laughs> internet if you're listening make this i happen. don't know how to do like i'm not listeners good who are that, tech savvy make that yeah um actually now i have Ado- well, adobe premiere so i probably could you can be that tech savvy yeah, listener now be the tech savvy that. listener oh, okay. you want to see in the i world. didn't have Thank adobe you. premiere two weeks ago so now you do now i do i would like to see it yeah. i would it. like to hear it um okay cold war this movie i still haven't seen in the theater which is a travesty but it's a peter travesty it is a peter travesty mm-hmm. um but i watched it at home on my screener and uh turn off all the lights turn my phone put my phone away it was it was amazing it's 87 minutes long it's it's decades spanning star-crossed lovers romance they sit at a at a, at a bench to die together at the uh, end it, which is so you it just it's ravishing it just fucking kills me when the credits rolled on this movie i told daniel this but i started the movie right over and then i got halfway through it and i i could just i just feel like i could watch this movie on loop i've i haven't seen it again and i need to see it in theaters i agree that i think if i watched it again it would move up my list Huge, it, it's, like way it's up astonishing my list. people say you know the critique that it looks like you're it feels like you're watching a movie and fast forward i can't i don't i, I don't agree with that i couldn't all. disagree more it's Every it's in in the sense it reminded me of Lady Bird in that editing where like yeah. it it clips along but every single moment is so and every frame it has a every real, single shot in this movie is it has, stunning. I think it, every scene, every shot, sure. I, I disagree. Fast forward. I think mm-hmm. that it's able to skip huge chunks because it has such a crystallized essence of exactly what it's going for mm-hmm. in every damn shot. Yeah. And I also I also just love the the plant and payoff of that decaying church. Yeah. Yep. When he walks in it the first time and takes a look around and then how that feeds back into the back half of the film. Yeah. And then the through line of music, which I love a lot. Oi. I oi, wish oi, I knew, oi. I wish I knew more about Poland because I understand it like deals very richly with the sociopolitical right. yeah. climate of the time. I did some Wikipedia uh-huh. after I watched it. I don't remember what I learned, Great. but yeah. I remember it enriched yeah. I, it. I felt that way too when I was watching it. And at first, I mean, I, I don't think it doesn't matter. It's so boring, but I was having serious back trouble when I watched that movie and I was just really uncomfortable. And so I was preordained to be irritable. 
But I found myself frustrated. I'm like, God, I just wish they would give us a little bit of exposition around this. And then as it kept going, I'm like, no, that's just a total American viewpoint on this. Yeah. Like, they, they, you don't spoon feed me because I've never been to Warsaw. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to cater your film, your Polish film for an international audience just because we consider it to be world cinema from America, right. you know? Right. That's up to us to do the research. Right. Um, yeah, I think Joanna Kulik, she did, sorry, she did remind me of Jennifer Lawrence. Well, she's got good charisma. Um... Yeah, I think she she would be like sixth on my ballot, probably. Um, I love her performance. Uh, we mentioned the scene earlier where she's dancing on the tables because she's not being paid attention to. There's the screen grab of like, I hate, I he's trash, but I love him or whatever. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's That's a scene in the field, right? It's um, she's like in a bathroom or something sitting. I don't know. Right. Or, I think the sex. What is there like two sex scenes in this movie or just one? I don't remember. I don't remember. Either. I I remember feeling frustrated that we jumped right into it. I wanted to get some idea of how they arrived here, but it is so intense and sensuous, and both performers are giving it their all. That it's that sort of thing. Where like, really, you want to spend ten minutes where they like bump into each other outside the bathroom? We're like, oh, I thought you were across the, thought you were across yeah. the the vineyard. Like, mm-hmm. no, we don't need that. Like, yeah. the actors are able to give you everything you need in that yeah. moment, just for being committed in the scene in the tight framing on them yeah. on a train. I think. I'll say there's a shot in this movie that took my breath away, and it's one of the best shots of the year for me, and it's almost completely unremarkable, except for one practical effect, I would consider it, uh, that happens later in the shot, where after the first performance of, of, the, of the regional uh, singing, the, the folk songs, mm-hmm. um, our male lead and then the, two, the co-director and the producer are leaning up against a wall and what seems like this mm-hmm. expansive, like cavernous dancing hall. I mean, they're just in the middle of it. They're leading against a table. There's hundreds of people behind them, hundreds of people in front of them, and they're lost in the reception. It's just a ravishing, overwhelming moment. And then a character approaches them, and then you see his reflection behind them. And for me, I didn't know that they were up against a mirror. Nope. I was yeah. I was completely blown yeah. away by that reveal. Yes. I, I gasped. I remember that. Yeah. I that gasped. shot, and then there's another shot of the stage where um, they're all dancing and the dresses are just like twirling, like really close to frame. I can't remember yeah. exactly the shot, but there's a great moment in rehearsal when the boys are, are doing their, their, what did you say, Ben? I feel like you brought this up on Twitter oh. or something. Leaping, they're doing little leaps. They're leaping, oh, yes, but they're the men ki- leaping. I, I get so hard over something that also comes up in Roma where just like an object comes I like when the boys do little leaps. Yes, but like their their legs are cartwheeling straight towards the camera and Mm -hmm. you're scared that the glass is going to break in the lens at any moment. And Roma has that too. Like Mm -hmm. when when you've got like the big fighting sword like thwacked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good movie. Mm -hmm. Good movie. That's Cold War. That's my my number 15. 15. Yes. Is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm. Let's continue. We'll discuss that. We will discuss it. I'm not sure I can forgive you for putting it at 15. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ben. Isn't it film like 14 for you? Ben! <laughs> I was trying to build up to, to something. I was trying to well, do a bit. I would it. like to do the bit. Well, my number 15 is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, which I know that we will talk about later, but yes. I will just quickly say I'm not going to go off on a whole thing. I'm just going to say I like the scene on the subway platform. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll talk about it later. Fuck yeah. Oh, back to me already. Wow. Yes. Because I have movies wow. that no one else has. <laughs> <laughs> Number 14, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Let me pull up my notes because I have to defend myself. No, you don't. This movie. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get on my my soapbox. Who dislikes it? Nobody. (laughs) 
<laughs> Literally nobody. It was I'm, the number one highest rated movie of 2018 on oh, Letterboxd. Do you still? So literally do you, nobody. Do you still think Incredibles two is going to win the Oscar? I do. I I unfortunately I do because Golden Globes still like shiny new things, but they have been campaigning really like Sony's really really pushing it. So yeah. I think it could, but I'm still I don't trust the Academy to not award. You I know, bet Hong Sang Soo votes for Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Oh, fuck that. yeah! Um, so this movie is one of the best superhero movies ever made. It's one of the most beautiful animated movies ever made, and it's um it starts off as sort of a subversion of the superhero genre and then it morphs into a very moving coming of age movie which i love coming of age movies um it celebrates diversity it celebrates individuality it celebrates the hero within us all um i love this movie i think it's great if i was really true to myself and i probably will be true to myself in two more years and slide it further up the list good (laughs) nice i love spider-man into the spider-verse because it does something that animated movies or movies that children will see. I won't say children's movies, but movies that children will see. does something that they don't do anymore, which is that it's not afraid to scare them. Prowler is one of the most ingenious creations of the year for me. Uh, both the sound design of the way that he approaches when you know that he's near, the cost or the character design itself with all those angles and, and, the, and the colors and the way that he prowls around in the shadows and just how aggressive he is and, and how physically intimidating. And then also, of course, the emotional aspect as we, as we discover later, mm-hmm. but I found myself so unnerved. I could feel the hair go up on the, on my arms. Not that children have hair on their arms, but when, but when, when Prowler would be near, them. when I knew that a stalking sequence was about to begin. Yeah. It's just a weird fucking movie, and it takes risks that studio movies simply don't anymore when they're yeah. trying to reach a four-quadrant audience, Yep. Um, especially one that's geared towards younger audiences. I'm thrilled for Amy Pascal. <laughs> oh, me too. Did I tell you that? <laughs> that I, I have the same reaction. I'm. This is just. I'm just. Sony has vengeance been, for Amy. Sony's been trying to reclaim Spider-Man since the train wreck of Mark Webb Spider-Man's. Yeah, and they've done it. This is going to have like eight million sequels. This is a franchise. Like they've done it. Good for them. Thrilled. And I'm thrilled that they finally made the Miles Morales movie. I mean, yeah. certainly there's part of me that's like, well, I wish it could have been live action instead of animated. But frankly, who gives a it shit? It works better as animated. Well, it. it I don't want to say who gives a shit because I think that actually is a valid, not not a critique of the film, but a, a concern someone could have. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such a it's it's so experimental yet accessible. The the emotional story. I mean, I love movies about daddy issues. Like it's so affecting. I think, mm-hmm. um, and for representation, an animated film reaches just as wide an audience. And I'm I'm thrilled that Miles Morales is on the big screen. Yeah, um, I just love Phil Lord. It reminded me of the Lego movie and its uh, unbridled creativity and imagination. Yeah. Also, it's self-critique. In, the, in yes. the same way that the Lego movie, which seemed like a cash grab, became sort of an anti-capitalist screed in a way, or an anti-capitalist joyride, I think that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse takes a real hatchet to the superhero tropes that we've grown accustomed yeah. to and that are still, like, ironically, because this movie definitely... It doesn't rehash them as much as it makes a hash out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are movies that I mean, no one's going to talk about Avengers: Avengers: Infinity War here. But these are these are movies that people still 
you know, flock to see and that studios are pumping out and printing money. Um, but it, it has a somewhat self-reflexive quality around totally. what this genre means. And, and you know I eat up meta shit. Yes. And I, we don't have time to get into it, but I will have a conversation later about where I think the limitation of that is. But yeah, I appreciate it in the film. I'm glad you brought it up. I like the spider pig. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ben. My Thank- number four. Put a fork in it. <laughs> Jesus. My number 14 is Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. Hell Catherine yeah. Zeta-Jones, Roma! <laughs> <laughs> we were at lunch oh. for... I heard Olivia de Havilland is suing her for that read. Yeah. On the film. <laughs> our film that we made this weekend. Feels like a distant memory. I know. But I said... As we were sitting there watching it with the sound off, I could hear her go, Roma. And then I watched it, and that's exactly what she did. <laughs> Roma! Roma! You should have had Gaga do that category. Roma, Roma, Roma. There you go. It been so Thank fun. You. Um, we're talking we'll about, talk about it later. later. We're talking about it later. Continue. I'm still really upset that Ben had the gall to place Can You Ever Forgive Me so low at 15. Because I think it's proper places if number 14. <laughs> Meryl Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Brandon, can you ever forgive us? No! For ranking it so low? No! It's so good. Okay, my number 13 is Minding the Gap. This is so, oh, good. We'll talk about it later. Which we'll talk about later. Like, this is so unfair since you started. Like, you're getting saddled. With all not, to spoil, not to spoil my number 13, but you're getting saddled with the responsibility of opening oh, the discussion nice. with all these movies. That was cute. Is this not Horses IMO? True. Oop. My number 13 is Choplifters. Ah! We're going to talk about it later. Yeah. Get to the choplifter. Oh. <laughs> that, that's me falling off of it. Thank oh. you. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Sliced up in the blades. So we'll get into choplifters. We are not talking about game night on this podcast, Brandon. <laughs> for the love. The most urgent piece of American filmmaking. For the lo- I'm just How did you so know mad. it's my number 12? I'm kind of annoyed that you said that. I know. Um, You're just upset because you said something vulnerable and I made a joke about it. I'm ready to defend it. <laughs> It no, an, it is an I'm urgent piece of American filmmaking. I know it. I know you're being a dick. <laughs> I'm not going to contextualize it because I don't want to drag our viewers through the mud. Our listeners. What's your number our 13, viewers. Daniel? They're My just watching, <laughs> watching their phone, <laughs> waiting, <laughs> looking at le- watching the bar move, uh-huh. looking at letterbox comments, mm. just like file in, getting bitchier and bitchier. <laughs> My number 13 is Chloe Zhao's The Writer. Nice. Fuck yeah. I believe this is how it tops out on our list. Yeah. Correct. Correct. This and I was glad to see that it's somewhere that we are going to discuss it. I have three favorite, I, I, not to make it about this, but I have three favorite critics wins this year, which are Regina Hall winning Best Actors from the New York Film Critics Circle for Support the Girls, Deborah Granick winning Best Director from the Los Angeles Film Critics Association for Leave No Trace, and the writer winning Best Picture from the National Society of Film Critics. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to begin with this movie. I th- feel like the easy place is to talk about the way that Chloe Zhao is able to blend together narrative film and documentary, but that seems almost too easy. So instead, I will talk about how impressed I am by her ability to ingratiate herself into a community where she could even have the ability to turn this documentary-type approach in which she casts all the actors that are, of this true story. She casts the real players as these lightly fictionalized versions of themselves. I think about, when I think about a good documentarian, I think about Barbara Koppel in Harlan County, USA, and I think about the ability to, um, the best way I can think to say it is almost the worst way to say it for Harlan County, but like be able to like 
break through a picket line. <laughs> um, that's the worst way to say it, but just a- a- able to able to able to permeate like a very firm social layer where outsiders aren't necessarily welcome. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with where she puts her camera in this movie. Um, I fall in I, I fall in love <clears throat> I fall in love with the cinematography almost from the beginning when we see um, Brady I believe the lead character's yeah. name is who is a um, a rodeo cowboy who has suffered an injury and may never ride again is what the film is about it's about him trying to get back on that horse while also grappling with the fact that this literally, in, literally that's what I'm trying to trying say to get on the horse that this integral part of his identity might not have anything to do with himself and it might in fact have more to do with sort of a culture of toxic masculinity um, and, 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 and just a passed down tradition, not unlike coal mining in Harlan County, USA, where you really, as a man, you get your identity from your achievement in a very specific area, in this case, uh, rodeo. Um, but from the shot behind his head, when it's revealed that he has stapled all the way up and then gets in the shower to the end, I'm just totally taken aback by, by the visuals of this film. And I will just say, it has maybe the single best cut of the year for me, which is Brady sitting on his couch, bored as hell, unable to be physical because of doctor's orders, and he's just taking playing cards and just throwing them into the corner of his living room, and we cut from him throwing a card and just the expanse of this Badlands Canyon that speaks to how empty he feels inside and also ties you even deeper into the world, like the natural landscape of that film. I said at the time, it really fills your boots with the soul of the earth. And I think that because it gets, it, it just delves so deep into the human spirit and, and identity in this world, but also how this natural landscape reflects um, the characters and their own, uh, their own dispositions in this place. We I all think, liked this movie, right? Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's a movie I was surprised this is just about discourse. I'm just going to talk about discourse. I was surprised. Sure. I was surprised right. that there it was on less lists than I thought it would be because I I just remember when it came out, it was just like this is the first great movie of the year, and it feels like so many people forgot about it. I, I have a theory as to why. Let's hear it. Well, it's because it had its and of course Glenn Close just won a Golden Globe for a movie that premiered at Toronto in 2017, but the writer premiered. It can yeah uh, in 2017 mm-hmm. played at Toronto, built up some good word of mouth. It already won Independent Spirit Awards right. before mm-hmm. most audiences had seen it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then plays at Sundance as a spotlight. Even more people are seeing it. But this is sort of, it's, it's, it played at Sun. I'm not saying that like a Sundance audience has impact on the discourse. Yeah. But it almost, it had an arrival when it came into theaters. It had all of this pent up love and goodwill. And because of that, it almost feels like we already had the parade. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it just was talked about for too long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Independent Spirit Awards. And I'm, that's partly that. why I'm so thrilled that the National Society of Film Critics went for it in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's... I thought that was really interesting. You can think cinema is a million things, but one thing it certainly is is the ability to catch something real unfold in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that applies to Mulholland Drive as much as it applies to Rome Open City. Right. And one of the scenes of the year for me is watching Brady break in a horse and the way that she places her camera in the most cinematic of angles. She places it right behind a rope in the foreground as he pulls it in the background and watch it tighten. Like it's, I feel like it's almost cheap to talk too much about the documentary aesthetic of the film because it's not Frederick Wiseman, you know, right. it's not Bing Liu. Um, she's, she's, it, it, it has a, it, it is so intentional in, in its angles and they are challenging in a way, but just the fact that she was able to, to build this cinematic experience around a character breaking a horse in real time. You can't do that again. You've got one yeah. horse 
You've got an hour to do it, mm-hmm. and you have to move on the fly and capture your scene without just sticking a camera right over the yeah. the ledge of the of the fence. Mm-hmm. I'm just so impressed by this movie. Yeah, I think Chloe Zhao is such an exciting. I never maker. have stopped thinking about the shot of Brady riding the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. Me too. I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful image. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Yeah, it's a great film. I agree. Number thirteen, the writer. Great. Is it my 13? Yeah. No, no, it's your 12. 12. Terrible 12s. Oh. You were never really here. Bitch. Is it the highest? No. No way. Okay, we'll talk about it in a minute. (laughs) Right. Oh, wait, no, it's your, it is your 13, right? No. Wait, what? No, I said my, (laughs) no, I I forgot I did say choplifters already. You said choplifters already. My number 12 Uh is Uh Frederick Wiseman's Monrovia, Indiana. We stand for a bumper sticker. We stand for Republican Queen Carol, who's actually nope. kind of a piece of shit. Uh, we stand. Love her. Well, we just don't want them. We'll get there in a minute. I stand Great. so hard. We'll talk about it later. Great. My number 12 is Alfonso Coron's Roma, which I think we'll talk about later. We'll talk about that later. Ah. Okay. Uh, my number 11 is Black Klansman, Spike nice. Lee's film. Nice. We'll talk about that later. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> We're going to clock in at an hour and a half. My number 11, which we will talk about later, <laughs> is The Other Side of the Wind. Yes. What did I do wrong, Daddy? <laughs> I Didn't it put it up. Yeah. I placed it too low. It too low. I placed it at 25. Uh, My number oops. 11 is definitely the highest of our communal lists, and which is Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace. Ah, Yes. Again, preach. I don't, know, I don't know where to begin with this movie. I admire so much about it. I think I will start with Deborah Granick's ability to capture life on the margins. Yes. With Winter's Bone, you know, and with this film, she is taking characters who we never really spend much time in in the movies and have their own, similar to the writer, have their own little rules and ways of life. And in, and in this film, it's about it's about folks who live off the land. Uh, it's about a young woman and her father who is a veteran and who suffers from PTSD. Um, he has decided to move them from the, you know, from, from regular society, from living in the city or a suburb to living in a camp in a national forest in Oregon. I, I mean, this is a movie that I just get so emotional about. I get so emotional thinking about it. I don't know how to articulate what I will say is that I think I think it captures such a complicated dynamic around parenting and about love from a parent to a child and vice versa, how we lean on our role models, even if they are leading us astray, and how we are trying to pass on our own set of hardly won values and, and values that feel true to our own identity onto the people that we love, who we are taking care of, but leave no trace which is a film without an antagonist, is able to both say that Ben Foster's character is putting his daughter into grave danger, um, not just in terms of like a, a, a stray coyote coming in and like eating her for lunch, but by removing her from a social structure altogether, she is not developing into the person she is supposed to. She, she, she will be dealt it. She's being dealt. He's dealing her a bad hand in life mm-hmm. by taking a stand against against the ills of society. I mean, like it's a noble cause that, that, that he's crusading, but the cause, like, just the toll that it takes on her is, is it's just a fascinating dynamic yeah. to me. I think Thomas and McKenzie is a real star. I think Ben Foster gives one of the best lead performances of the year. Um, 
I could talk about the scenes I like, but I know Brandon really loves this movie. Right? I do. What I do think like about, about I think about because, like you said, she needs to be socialized. Like when she meets the boy with the bunnies. Oh, it's the best. It's one of the At most the 4-H club. heartbreaking things because she's like, oh, friends. Yeah. Um, I think about the bees once That's, a day. The bees are for me the animal of 2018. Bees, wow. bees and bunnies. Yeah, just the idea of like searching for home, like looking for yeah. a place where you actually can grow and thrive, and how that might not be the place where the person that you love the the most and the person who has raised you it might not be the same place where he needs to go. And the movie is sort of leading up to this. Um, it, it's leading up to a, a crossroads where these two, this father and daughter, can't live together anymore. Yeah, I'm so moved by it. The scene where she says like oh i'm gonna offer money to stay or whatever and she's like so excited that oh dad we get to stay Mm -hmm. without realizing that he's like oh i don't want to stay well because it's so sad the the movie is very much them being moved around from living room to living room like Mm -hmm. their living room is under the trees in oregon outside of seattle or outside of portland uh they are removed by the government and then they are relocated to sort of uh, a farm in, in rural Oregon. Yeah, like a ranch. Yeah, but which has strict rules. There's running water, there's a there's that four H club that for her is an opportunity to socialize and to meet new people and to learn new things and to him is almost an insult. Um mm-hmm. against his better judgment. Um an insult to him and the way that he's raised her. And I just I can't believe the way that Deborah Granick gets away without judging anybody throughout this movie. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the way that she is able to imbue that it's not just empathy, but the way that she is able to build every character with she's she and the performers are able to build inner lives for everybody that totally makes sense on their own logical levels. And the tension in the film exists where characters do not line up on those levels. And I think that she has an extraordinary talent for locating characters within an environment. And again, I, like I said earlier, I think that the LA film critics giving her best director is one of the best things that's happened this award season because yeah. I'm not waiting another nine years for the next Deborah Granick movie. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I agree. Do you have anything nice to say about it, Ben? Yeah, I think it's a good movie. Oh, great. Great. That's all I have to say. Fantastic. Let's move along. 11, 10. What's happening? I just ten. gave my 11. So oh, we're, got, we're on the top 10s. Top 10s. Okay. Um, top 10. Shoplifters. Nice. Shoplifters. So it's going to be, we're not talking about it yet. Oh, you bet your sweet ass it comes again. Great. Okay, see you later. You bet your sweet oranges it comes again. Nice. You bet your sweet gluten cake it comes again. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10 for me. I think it is the highest that this film lands is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're it's, welcome. It's a be- it's a perfect genre exercise. Mm-hmm. It is a perfect like big studio movie. It captures the feeling of watching an inspirational speech in pure cinematic terms in a way that literally no movie has ever done in the history of film. Two speeches. What's the other one? Harry Belafonte. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. It uses the Spike Lee shot better than he has ever used the Spike Lee shot before. The cross burning at the end of the film is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Um, It's hysterically funny. Mm -hmm. It's about the ingenuity of white women. Yes. (laughs) Um, Fuck you, Connie. As we discuss on our episode, I'm so enamored of the 
use of parallel editing, which mm-hmm. is a big fuck you to the birth of a nation. Whether or not it's intentional, which Spike has said it's not intentional, but he loves the comparison. But <laughs> it's intentional. Yeah. I, I mean, not not to say that any of us know better than Spike Lee, but I think that he's playing it smart. Yes, perhaps. Yes, you can't tell me that a film nerd like Spike Lee doesn't know the importance of cross cutting when. Uh, the birth of a nation is a recurring motif throughout your film and an important piece. When you literally cut to the birth of a nation. Yeah. While you are cross cutting. Yeah. 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 Between a story about, about lynching mm-hmm. and a story or, or a scene about us. No, no, no. Telling a, a, story. a telling story about lynching and telling this heavily racist, heavily fictionalized version of race in America, which mm-hmm. is birth of a nation. Um, Give it best editing. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It, it's not just that too. There's builds other stuff. to a, stunning climax that's emotionally satisfying and John David Washington doesn't get enough credit for having to give a performance to a phone for a lot of the film. Mm-hmm. I challenge people to sorry, I, yeah. I challenge people to find a performer who is having more fun on that phone and yeah. also uh also expressing more frustration, anguish, anger. He he does it. He it's just like the scenes where he's getting such a kick out of David Duke on the phone, and the scenes where it's all he can do not to um, slam that phone yeah. back down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good I think stuff. it's incredible. Um, yeah, I think that's all I want to say about it. I rewatched it today. Mm-hmm. I am really struck by. I'll tell you a few things. I'm really struck by Spike's focus on language in this movie, mm. about what certain words mean uh, to certain groups, about how language is used as a weapon, how language is used to deceive, um, and the ability of language to inspire. And it's not to say that language only exists to inspire people towards great heights, like in the Kwame Ture scene um, about black power, but also how David Duke is able to rouse a bunch of racists by misleading them through very slanted words. I, I don't know. I did, and, and, and just the ability uh, or just the, 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 the whole recurring idea of uh, having, you know, having uh, two Rons, one over the phone, one in person and how speaking to someone over the phone, um, you're able to conjure an entire idea of somebody like it's it's I, I mean this also um, in terms of racial epithets and slurs. Something that Spike Lee is able to do that's sort of miraculous to me in this movie is that he is able to turn some of this racist vitriol into laugh lines. Yeah. Um, in, into moments that point out how cartoonish these characters are. Like and the ingenuity of white women. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he undercuts this with the ending of the film, which throws a bucket of cold water on all the fun you've been having yeah. watching this film. Uh, and to remind you that, you know, uh, I want to call him Ignatius Riley because I just read A Confederacy of Dunces because he's he's the he's the guy from Itania who, like, physically resembles Ignatius. His name is... Um, it's a bar near my house. I... It doesn't matter. Um, like the main comic relief in the clan. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we see, we know it's him when we see the cross burning underneath uh-huh. the hood. Mm-hmm. And it's a reminder that like all of these people who, 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 who we viewed as comic relief, but also there are quote unquote sympathetic characters in the clan because they are on Ron's side. They're saying to Felix like, no, leave him alone. He's right. one of us. Which watching the movie, you're, you're glad that this character is letting our protagonist continue upon his quest. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, these are people who hate black people, who hate Jewish people, who hate gay people. It's a movie about intersectionality, identity. It, it, I think it's just brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I would like to see it. Oh, and I also think that <laughs> I would it, like to see it again. I also it, I didn't get to rewatch it. It goes without saying that it does a better job than Green Book talking about race in America. Mm-hmm. It goes without saying. It also does a better job than Vice in terms of charting how a movement has been able to inf- and a movement of hate has been able to infect our current climate, our current yeah. political climate. Um, not just in the Richard Nixon posters on the on the wall and not just in the language of America first to make America great again. Um, but it is a because it cares more about its characters than Vice, I, I guarantee you Spike Lee hates many of these characters more than Adam McKay hates Dick Cheney. Mm. And yet he still builds them into characters right. rather than just giving a PowerPoint presentation about how Anton Scalia leads to Donald Trump. Right. Um, he never lets go of plot and all of this and characterization. And I think it should win Best Adapted Screenplay. And too. that it's a fun-ass cop movie. Yes. Yeah, Let on top of everything else, still just it a is crowd-pleasing popular entertainment mm-hmm. yeah genre mashing totally exciting yeah mm-hmm. great it's a very it's a great movie. i love it it's just like classical auteur theory mode of these people found their voice within the structural systems that were there mm-hmm. and that i admire that a lot i do too yes spike my, win best director please uh, um and best picture my number 10 is a film that I know we'll be talking about later, but it's a movie that I relate to so hard. It has become my new annual rewatch, replacing Francis Ha, in terms of what I will watch every year to check in with myself and see how I'm doing <laughs> and how much I relate to the main character who I heavily identify with, but just how my own growth has lined up with this character who I heavily identify with. And that's Claire Denise Let the Sunshine In. Yeah. I know we'll talk about it later. Number nine. More so than Game Night. Paul King's Paddington 2. Yes. This movie, which, which you said, Daniel, is about, it's a condemnation of Brexit. Brexit. Brexics. You don't even drink. I love, I love <laughs> that wasted. cereal. Brexics. <laughs> I like rice Brexics. <laughs> it's a condemnation of Brexit. A man holds up a paper meter of, like, terror meter, and he's like, terror is high because... The stupid bears in the neighborhood, and Paddington drives through it with a bicycle with Sally Hawkins. I think about that scene every day. The South American immigrant. Yes, and and it's, that's Peter Capaldi's character, right? I don't know, some old guy. The neighbor. The neighbor. Yes, Peter. Capaldi. I haven't seen this movie since I. Here's here's an early year one. This came. This movie this came out in like January. January. Mm-hmm. This movie came out a full calendar year ago. Number nine on my list. I haven't seen it again since. I probably should have rewatched it, but here we are. Um, Hugh Grant plays. One of the most exciting queer characters of the year. Uh, I wish I knew his queer? character's name. He's got to be. He's like this like flamboyant. He's, a fop. He's, he's a flamboyant fop. gay actor who does a full ass musical Phoenix, number. Phoenix Buchanan from Follies. Yes, in in the prison. <laughs> yes, it's it's wonderful. It's the film's greatest flaw is that it's it's not its best scene, but that Follies number is only occupying like a third of the size of the screen because it's playing during the credits when it really should be full screen. They should have done the scene and then rolled credits. That's how I think. Um, ah, This movie was light on its feet while also being incredibly moving. Fleet-footed fun. It's fleet-footed faggoty fun. Ah! Uh, Warn me before you say it. But it's it's so... It hits you like a 
ton of bricks at the end with with how deeply moving it is. It's like a bathtub to the head. It's a bathtub down the stairs. I think that's right to that's the like head. That's like a Paddington one reference, though. I guess it is. He doesn't slide down a bath, but he does like clean windows with his body in this one. I love that scene on the beach. At <laughs> I was gonna make that joke too. <laughs> I think we did that last the the, the come <clears> doing perhaps. the two. I did. <laughs> you did. Um. What more is Sally there? Hawkins does better underwater acting than she does in The Shape of Water. Correct. Sure. I, I mean, don't agree, but yeah, sure. I totally. mean, when Hugh Grant's is on one train, two trains, he has one train, his leg goes to the other train, and then the trains start to divert, and he does the splits. It is just great physical comedy. It, it makes me laugh. The, the physical comedy in this movie reminds me a lot of Harold Lloyd. Especially in that train sequence, and mm-hmm. and also, um, and not just with Hugh Grant, but with uh, Daddy. What's his name? Uh, uh, Hugh Bonneville. When his legs get like split between the two. Oh, it was Hugh. It's Bonneville yeah. who does the but, splits. But also not Grant. in the beginning, when he's got the electric toothbrushes and he's like sticking them in both of his ears it's and like moving around. It's it's smart slapstick and it's also character driven. But for me, yeah. I love this movie because it walks the tightrope of extremely satisfying action movie, mm-hmm. and also, sure, like a a total condemnation of Brexit. Um, what really gets me is Paddington going to prison and how he is falsely accused and then imprisoned for this crime because he was because he was there. And the reason why no one believes him is because he's a bear from where's he from again? Darkest Peru. From Peru. And 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 how Can't be trusted. How that takes such a toll on his spirit. Um, because he's told by a racist system um, that that he is wrong, even though he knows he didn't do anything wrong, he has still been literally sentenced to a life of solitude, of imprisonment, uh, of deprivation from everything that made him feel human. And yeah. and, and you can understand why all of that um, breaks you as a person and makes you makes you resent the society that you came from, uh, or the society that, that, that you have tried to become a part of. Yeah. Um, but it never fully breaks his spirit. No, because he's Paddington. And he breaks out in a hot air balloon. He sure does. It's amazing. <laughs> but I I mean, I just, I, 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 it's heavy handed at times, but I so appreciate the attention that this, this film pays upon the street that he lives on and all of the neighbors and just the idea of community. Yes. And how do you break into a community? Like as an outsider, like how, 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 how do people learn to trust you? Um, and this movie argues because of your character, mm-hmm. not because of your ethnicity, not because of where you come from. What's his catchphrase? It's like, if you be nice, everything's right or something. Something like that. And it, the, the, it, this is a movie that's... But more than it, that's sorry, real quick, it's not that you have to like have good character. Like, it's, a welcome, it's a welcoming society that is ruined by bad apples who have power. Yeah. Um, and I find that to be... I find that really important. Um, I mean, this is a movie that just argues, like, sim- just very simply... Be nice. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's perfect. And apparently, Brandon, that makes us some of the most annoying people on the internet. What? To some people. Uh, to some people, yeah. sure. Um, Paddington 2, now available. It's been on VOD for eight months. Go watch it. Basically true. <laughs> no, it's an <laughs> it's old a, movie. <laughs> this mm-hmm. movie's been out for ten years. It's Go. an old movie. <laughs> okay. My next. number nine. What? Is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Hell yeah. Fuck I yeah. had to not call it Busty Scruffs. And then, <laughs> For once in your goddamn life. Is it higher on your list? Yes, right. it is. We'll just take a pass. We also are talking. We're about also it. talking about it next week. <laughs> That's right. Spoiler alert. Oh, thank God. Then we don't have to talk too much about it today. Yeah, yeah we'll breeze tonight. Um, we probably, in hindsight, maybe we should have flipped them around, but I think it's smart that we're getting no, this out I know, of the way. we did it. 
it was supposed to be. Yeah. Bastille. It's smart. It's smart that we're getting this out of the but way because yes. we, have, we have a lot of homework. Yeah. Yeah. My number nine is Frederick Wiseman's Monrovia, Indiana. Nice. Frederick Wiseman is maybe my favorite living filmmaker. I I have. I have I've patted myself on the back the past three years for my letterbox year interviews because they have been many of my favorite filmmakers. It was Wiseman, Almodovar, and now Bergman. And I'm just it, it's nice to me that I'm actually watching the movies from the people I love, which is a, a self congratulatory yeah. sidebar. Um, we've all seen Monrovia, Indiana. Yes. Mm-hmm. I what I love about this movie is that there are a variety of angles that you can take on it, which is not to say that Weissman just plops down his camera and invites you to take in your own interpretation, whatever it is. Weissman is not a fly on the wall filmmaker, but he gets a lot of credit for being one. And that's because he seems to be able to capture life unfolding, not just in, um, not just inside restaurants or at, at state fairs or sitting down on a plastic fold out chair with, the really annoying guy who's talking about how when he was younger, he used to buy cigarettes for his friends and drive around in his hot new car. Um, but also within these, uh, the whole thing about Wiseman, of course, is that he's focused on American institutions. So these city planning meetings and, 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 and taking a seat at the table there. Um, but he gets a lot of credit for being a fly on the wall filmmaker because he's able to seem unintrusive. But I think that that, I think that that belies his ability to, know exactly how to tell his story with his camera as he told kent jones i still pick what the in point is and what the out point is exactly and like that yeah of course is but, not fly on the wall and of course, because he weissman shoots for 30 days straight in a, in a location that's how he makes his films i mean last year i know that i talked about ex libris the new york public library which was his film last year but he's been doing this since titicut follies his first film he he Going back to what I love about certain documentarians, that they're able to join the picket line, I should have said, in order, you know, in, in order, you have an ability to um, to be accepted in a community that they will act naturally in front of you. That's a whole other question about documentary, like what's natural and what's posed or whatever. Um, but in Monrovia, Indiana, the way that I take it is the portrait of obsolescence, and I think that when <laughs> I think that when you cut um, from from uh, from citizens saying that they don't think that we should be letting more outsiders into this community to the embers of a dying fire that you are saying something (laughs) with that. I think it's a movie about obsolescence. Um, I think it's a movie about white identity. It's about rural identity. It's about a city deciding whether it will change or whether it will stay firm. Um, And this is something that I'm definitely not going to keep talking on. I'd rather we all jump in on this one because like I said, I think it invites a number of viewpoints. My, the thing that has stuck with me that I think about a lot is that in the is the high school teacher lecturing about the history. I knew we talk about it. This is obsolescence. Football. Oh yeah. Not college football. High school, high school football. Fo- yeah. Which is even more pitiful. Insane. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an empire reflecting on its past glories as it dies. But it doesn't know that it's dying. Yeah. It has plenty of resentment about that Connecticut kid who's going to take the new, like we can't teach this history anymore in Indiana because it's not going to belong to us anymore. Someone else will be the football star up in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. It's just makes me sick. I mean, it's a reflection of America in that way. And that many of the people in power that we choose to watch at these city planning meetings, especially number one, bad bitch, Carol, who is actually an awful Republican. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. We cut her at the booth. We love her the first time we meet her because she interrupts the rambling man who's the head of the committee who won't shut the fuck up and mm-hmm. is super condescending about how he feels about the the new the new housing development yeah. and, and where, where the zoning restriction should be. We love her because she jumps in and then the more she runs her mouth, the more we understand that she's talking about restricting new people into the community because they're not what make they they aren't what makes Monrovia Monrovia. Yeah. 
So it's about identity in that way. Mm-hmm. And we see this reflected through a number of bumper stickers and, and T-shirts. That, that, and... that fair at the end is, exactly. what, is what sticks with me. It. Yeah. All those phrases and like Midwest white culture is so haunting. It's... Well, it reminds me of driving to my parents' house outside of Sacramento because a lot of people think of California as, you know, this leftist bastion, whatever, but pop off Greta. There is such a divide between West California and East California and East California is agricultural farmers and it's white families and when you drive up through like Fresno and Bakersfield and there are tiny towns in between them you see like I was going to bring this up exactly make America great again signs and Mm -hmm. you see things about like blame Pelosi for government created drought yes take take the five up to San Francisco yes and you and you will witness a bizarro world Mm -hmm. in 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 terms of uh in terms of white identity and 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 grievance politics yeah and it just, I I drove home for Christmas shortly after I watched this movie, and I was just thinking about like, this is true of literally everywhere. If you go to a a rural area, if you live in a big city like we do, mm-hmm. like you go half an hour outside of any big city, and you are in Monrovia, Indiana. It's yeah. it's it's the Joan Didion quote that opens. Ladybird, mm-hmm. uh, Sacramento being the Midwest of California. Yeah. Of course, you're not saying Sacramento; you're saying this whole eastern yeah. seaboard of the state. But it's the same idea, I think. Yeah. I also admire Sacramento is also really nice. I'm sorry, it is. I don't know. So I'm just gonna never been. I mean, I'm, I'm... I didn't live there when Joan Didion was growing up, so I'm sure it was in uh, also just like a small farming community then. Mm-hmm. But the... I just would like to say it's really nice. Well, I'll say the one time I've been to Sacramento. The drive certainly reflected the Midwest mm-hmm. of California. Yeah. Well, it's important, though, to point out that at no point is, is, is Wiseman depriving these people of their humanity. Mm-hmm. I think that we all get really frustrated by these New York Times profiles about life in Trump County, about how Trump voters are reacting to the way that Democrats are attacking the, uh, the president's plans and, and why a wall is necessary and, and they felt heard and seen for the first time. And Weissman demonstrates how you how you present that interiority and how you present that type of community without giving them that same sort of slanted space. Mm-hmm. By which I mean, we also, you know, we spend a lot of time watching Carol uh, tilt at windmills when it comes to letting folks who she, sh- who she says will bring in more crime into the new housing development. We've spent plenty of time with that. We also watch that same city planning committee bend over backwards over the decision to put in a new bench outside the library, mm-hmm. which has such a decent seed and, and a sense of not, not, not conceded self-importance, but the self-importance that we should allow ourselves. Like that's self-care, <laughs> put it, put, putting a bench on the corner. Uh, it gives these people dignity. Um, but if you're paying attention, I mean, I don't want to say, I don't infer that people aren't paying attention, but if you pay attention to what they're saying, it's clear that they are spouting, a type of identity politics that is would rather go down with the white ship than adapt. Yeah, um, that to me is the crux of the movie. Like, it, yeah. it, it, whether Monrovia will adapt or whether Monrovia will crumble, and that's sort of where it becomes a much broader look at America right now. And by which I by which I mean uh, the Midwest of America, which 
Brandon and I both grew up in the Midwest. I don't necessarily think that should be our synecdoche like for the entire nation, but so often it is. So it's fascinating to see Wiseman plant his camera in the cornfields in this place that, uh, in this place that we, we assign so much importance in the national conversation about who America is and what our identity is. And he shows a crumbling, uh, portrait of obsolescence in my opinion. Yeah. And he also shows a dog, uh, dog getting its tail cut off. Mm -hmm. So there's also that. Great. <laughs> I would not like to see it. Um, That's a good place to end, I think. Oh, yeah. On the dog. The dog. <laughs> that scene. Me watching that movie. That is the most disgusting thing I'm going to see in this movie. Cut to gun shop scene. Oh, my God. That, see, that and, that and uh, Widow's Gun Show scenes are really important, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, it gets real quick. Where, it, how are you going to get a gun? This is America. Isn't that what yeah. Viola says? Yes. And in Monrovia, again, like... Weissman is able to show that this gun culture is something that these people take great pride in, that their identities are tied to their firearms and it's something that was passed on from generation to generation. He's also saying, this is fucked up. Like it's, 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 I do think that he's pushing some sort of agenda. I think there's plenty of perspective that he's imbuing in terms of gun culture in America, but he does it while it's not both sideism, but he shows how they feel and then is yeah. still able to critique it on top of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good movie. That's right. Good movie. I am uh, number eight, Christopher McQuarrie's and Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible Fallout. My most watched movie of 2018. Yeah. <laughs> Four times? <laughs> Four times. Hell yeah. Um, God, this movie. Um, I love this movie. Um, it's one of the best action movies in decades. I don't know. It's, it's fun. Is that true? It's fun. It's, I just want to pull up my original log. Where I just, it's, it's, it's. This should be the last Mission Impossible. It won't be because Tom Cruise wants to make these movie and movies until he literally does a stunt that kills him. Sure. Um, it has some of the best action set pieces ever. I mean, the, the, from the Halo jump into the motorcycle chase, mm -hmm. into the, the, the bathroom fight, yeah. into the helicopter. A fucking helicopter chase. Yeah. Um, and they're all, every scene is character mot motivated by character. You're learning about characters, even from the halo jump, you're learning about the, the, the pompous nature of Henry Cavill's character and he, and Tom, uh, Ethan Hunt having to deal with that, uh, into the bathroom scene. Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the only scene that made me talk back to the screen this year, which was Henry Cavill ripping out the piping right from underneath yeah. the sink. Mm -hmm. I, without, with no control over myself, yelled, what? Yeah. Like, it's it's exhilarating, the action in this movie. And yeah. as a piece of maximalist cinema, it's just beautifully choreographed. Yeah. Um, what does she say? She says, I prefer a hammer. Henry Cavill is the hammer when he rips out a fucking pipe from the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he um, recharges his and, arms. And even, yes. the, even, the, even small moments in this movie, like when um, Rebecca Ferguson shows up, and then the guys come in and she they orchestrate like, oh, it's just a nosebleed. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's such smart writing. Yeah. Well, that's the job. That's the job. It's, um, it's clever. It's the Mission Impossible magnum opus. It is. It's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. And it all comes down to, because, you know, when we did our Mission Impossible episode, we watched all of them. And it, while also being the biggest Mission Impossible movie ever, it, Brings it all back to basics. You put your finger. It's on about it. defusing a bomb. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's 
He did, he's hanging off a cliff. Everything's exploded. They mm-hmm. d- they jump from airplanes. They're doing all this shit. At the end of the day, he defused the bomb. But you put yeah. your finger on it that it's character driven on top yes. of everything else. It's yeah. not characters reacting to a bomb. It's yeah. characters deciding how they're going to defuse the bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Paris sequence is stunning. One Which one? The Paris sequence. Yeah. The motorcycle. Motorcycle chase. Oh, yeah. And, and how it escalates from like armored vehicle mm-hmm. to motorcycle yeah, to just, just like the whole thing. To Tom Cruise like breaking his ankle yeah. running, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ethan Hunt. Um, he just wants to hang out with his boys. He just wants. He to, just yeah. wants to crack open some brews and hang out chill. with his boys. Right. But what's? I mean, he is finally like exhausted. Like, mm. there's a moment in the bathroom fight scene where he, like, is like, "Fuck!" Like, he just yeah. like you see Tom Cruise like shake his head like, "Okay," and then charges himself yeah. up to plow this man through a wall. Yeah, it's very um, Jean Dielman. I mean, I I think when seriously, like, <laughs> thank you. Ethan Hunt has one mode, which is, or he has two modes: to chill and to do. Yeah. And when he's doing, he's completely single track focused onto that. In the moments where he's like catching his breath, there's also this idea of what is my purpose now? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's like Jean Dielman sitting in the yellow chair after she's finished her chores and yeah. she has an anxiety attack because mm-hmm. without that purpose, who is she? Mm-hmm. And that's what's so fascinating to me about Ethan Hunt as a character. He and also Tom Cruise portraying Ethan Hunt. Like, there's a reason why I always think of Holy Motors with this, which is that you have a job, which is to change faces all day and to just hit your mark and keep going. And there's there there's no time to focus on you. Like Ethan Hunt is addicted to the chase. Ethan Hunt is addicted to the job. He's addicted to the idea of saving the world. And he partly does it to avoid thinking about his estranged ex-wife who thinks he's or who his ex-wife who thinks he's dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um that's why he has so much energy. That's why he has so much passion. Mm-hmm. Ethan Hunt is Jean Dealman. I love that. Totally. One scene in this movie that I think is very important is when um they get away with the the criminal guy that they have to kidnap, and then that garage pulls up, and there's the female mm-hmm. cop, mm-hmm. and to save her, Ethan Hunt has to point blank shoot and shoot to kill these three guys, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I've made this, I I don't know if I've made this up or if it's true, but I don't think Ethan Hunt, I think that's a thing, like he doesn't shoot He's to kill. Never. And he I th- kills people because he kicks them out of airplanes, but he doesn't point and, blank shoot and, a man. Yeah. And this is like circumstances story. beyond his control. And that's the whole movie. Like he's finally beyond anything he's ever done before. I was going to bring this moment up because I loved the way that you described it on the episode when we talked about it. Um, and it also reminds me of Skyfall a little bit. Yeah. Which is another movie you love. Yes. It, the, yeah. This and Skyfall share a. They're kindred spirits. I brought up Harold Lloyd earlier. I think that Tom Cruise really um, makes the final argument that he should be in the same company as Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harry Lloyd in terms of that type of physical performance being taken seriously as character development, as pathos, just the, the sheer acrobatics of it being taken seriously as an art. Yeah. In my opinion. Tom Cruise, I mean, he's, you know, he thinks the, the biggest issue facing life motion right smoothing. now is motion smoothing. Yep. <laughs> That's just how dumb and brainwashed he is. <laughs> he's going to like, he's going to leave his mansion tomorrow and be like, well, I'm going to vote for Hillary. Like, today's the day. Today's the day. <laughs> he's going to arrive at his rec center and it's going to be like the scene in Hale County. Like, there's a little basketball practice going mm. on. He's like, I'm with her. Uh, no. And they're like, mm, where have you been? Maybe you should be Tom. with us. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my number eight. Thank you. Next. Speaking of a man 
um, with a plan, <laughs> who then has to deal with not having a purpose. My number eight film is You Are Never Really Here. Yes. Fuck yeah. Is this the highest it appears in this episode? Sure is. Um, Pop off. This was my first movie this year that I was like, this is my favorite movie of the year. Mm -hmm. The first of every movie continuing onward. (laughs) Um, It just, it moves me so deeply. I don't even know what to say. It's tough. It when he blows his brains out at the diner. It mm. when he sits at the foot of the bed and cries. Mm-hmm. When important scene this year. He just the whole journey that he's on being for nothing because this young girl is able to handle her own shit. Um, I just think it's really beautiful. And I think the filmmaking is stunning. And I think he, I think Joaquin, Joaquin gives my favorite lead male performance of the year still. And I just think, I don't know. I love. I wish I had rewatched it because then I could talk about it more. Oh, I wish I had rewatched it. I, I'm sort of grasping for straws. It's the only movie this year that, new movie that I got stuck on and watched like over immediately like you did with cold war oh yeah um which i forgot you did that sometimes i i it's rare that that happens to me with a new movie but it'll happen with old movies i'll be like i have to watch that again now but i think that lynn ramsey feels a lot for joaquin's character mm-hmm. sensitively enough that we it's his story right right he learns that his place in the story is not what he thought it was mm-hmm. and that's crushing yeah um, and I also think that he's just crushed by the sheer depravity of the world around mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as Lynn Ramsey is concerned, I'm so impressed and fascinated by the sequence construction mm-hmm. throughout the film, um, where she gets super sensory, for instance, but also not dissimilar to Widows once it gets to the actual, I'll call it a heist, even though it's not. It's, it's the rescue scene. Mm-hmm. The way that she covers it is, su- it, it is suggesting, as you were saying, Ben, that what he's doing is actually... He's a ghost, almost. He, yeah, and and I think about how she tells it in the security camera footage, mm-hmm. and we're not—it's not old boy. We're not watching right. him thrust his hammer into someone's skull right. in such a kick-ass, badass way. The camera is not gliding down in the tracking shot as if to say, "Experience the sheer spectacle, like yeah. get drunk off of it's it." It's not sexy. It's not sexy, um, and and I, I I feel like I shouldn't say anything more. I feel like you summed it up, and that he's just a ghost moving through it. Um, but there also is a quality of. Um, of once he once he goes to break her out, it's it actually isn't his story. Like yeah. that, the camera no longer seems interested on his in his face. It, it's more taking a sort of cold, objective look on it through the security footage. Yeah. Um, and then it has this huge. It's like it has one of the most cathartic moments of the year when he breaks down mm-hmm. uh, in front of the bed. Yeah, and I don't think that was scripted. I think I remember reading that um, that they just really? doesn't surprise me. That was just they got there and were like, oh, he has to do this. Yeah. I, I'll say something about the episode that we... I don't want to talk about what we talked about. I was wondering, driving here, about how much I would want to talk about the homework that we discussed on each of, these, each of these episodes because I'm just so thankful that we do this every week because it gives me an opportunity to catch up with movies that I should have already seen, movies that have become near and dear to my heart, movies I think about all the time. And I'm just so thankful that this movie finally gave me an excuse to catch up with Morvan Caller, mm-hmm. which I really think is one of the great movies of the new millennium um, and deepened my appreciation for Lynn Ramsey even more. And 
I mean, I saw this movie in what, April? Yeah. Yeah. This is one. I mean, it was on my list to revisit before we did the episode, yeah. but life got in the way. Right. It's such I love a it. special movie. And it just. Ben, do you think it, would you, would you say, um, would you say that it's a taxi driver for the 21st century? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes. You know what? <laughs> in retrospect. I think I will. I think why not? Sure. Yeah. It's a movie about um, grief. Ah, <laughs> uh, my you know favorite what else is? line. Hereditary. Yes, it uh, is though. It you know is. What, is? what? The favorite. <laughs> yes, in a way. Okay, Burning. Let's just continue. Okay, what's okay. next? Number eight for me is Joel Nathan Cohen's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Nice. Let's do thirty seconds on this movie. Great. It's a hot ass movie. Here's what I'll say. I, I, I will, for once in my life, keep it to one goddamn sentence. They should have called this movie Life Itself. Oh, I nice. love that. That's okay, hot. next. It's well, good. tune in next week. Yeah, yeah we'll, we're yes. talking about the Battle of Buster Scruggs. Come back, watch this space. <laughs> I love watch this space. Watch love this watch space. this space. Okay, my number seven is Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline. Finally. I'm going to do the bit. Tired. The three three women of the favorite wired the three women of Madeline's Madeline Molly Parker, Miranda July, and Helena Howard give powerhouse performances. They do. They are Absolutely. they are riveting. They are so good. Molly Parker basically plays a version of Josephine Decker. Uh, I mean, this movie's self reflexive about like performance, performer. Um, who do stories belong to? Who do stories belong to? It's it's, it's a real tour de force. It is. It I is. mean, that's a, such a dumb word to say, but for here, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it knocked fit. us off it, for a loop. It truly I was fits the phrase tour de force. It really does. Um, the editing's stunning. The sound design's stunning. She continues to pioneer her own cinematic language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very special. Thing. I don't know. It's, isn't it on Prime? Go watch it. I think that's right. Yeah. It's it's also on Canopy. Go watch it. Aww. It's on Canopy. Uh, what more can I say? But what as as I are a couple other movies we've talked Miranda about. Miranda July remains one of my best supporting actress. Me too. Of the year. Me too. Um, I think she gives such a deep, rich, riveting, moving, interesting, interesting layered, layered performance. Complicated. Helena Howard. Her monologue. Discovery. It's like the when movie she could be does... good without Helena Howard, but because Helena Howard is in it, it like jumps. A up star is born. I mean, when she does that We're all cat boys. monologue as Miranda July, yeah. it's one of the most jaw-dropping things I've seen this year. Yeah. And it's self-reflexive in the way that, I mean, that Molly Parker reacting to uh, Madeline is Josephine Decker reacting to probably Helen Howard. It's, like It's it's predatory. Yeah. And you can see it in her eyes. She yeah. feels as if her life has just been made. Yeah. Her career is will be, her career has accelerated because of someone else's story that she's plucking up. Right. Yeah. And so it's Josephine Decker almost reckoning with her own, like, her artistic, artistic process and needs. Absolutely. And, yes. and, and also, it indicts curiosity in a way because mm-hmm. Molly Parker continues to dig into Madeline's backstory and her relationship with her mother. She pries in an inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's asking leading questions. She's, she's like Ron Stallworth and Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Like, Asking the questions that he knows will give him the answers that he needs to build his case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in Madeline's Madeline. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I don't want to get too oh, far Oh, I'm topic. saying Madeline again. It's fine, Brandon. I love that you say what you say. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine that you're stupid. Brandon, That's... speak your own language. 
okay. I think it's precious. That's what Laura Dern calls Reese Witherspoon in Big Little Lies, Madeline specifically because it's she knows Madeline. Brandon, I'm d- yeah, I'm just Madeline. Doing- I'm just doing a bit. Brandon, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I said thank you, <laughs> Brandon. Of all the movies to single yourself oh out for saying things differently, I think it should be the movie that is creating its own cinematic language. Man. Guys, I've been saying Madeline this whole time. Your ears are just off. Oh, Wait. sorry, that's okay. totally my bad. Next, I- quickly. I'm not going to dive into it, but I do think that Miranda July's performance, it mirrors the mother character in A Confederacy of Dunces so deeply, Irene. I mean, the whole, it's not as if they don't have their own vivid interior life and their their own wants and needs and desires, but the story itself frames them against their offspring and how desperately they are trying to be there for them, but they are so exhausted Mm -hmm. by... And they're so exhausted and impatient by the challenges that their children are presenting for them. And then ultimately they have to walk away. I just, it's a, yeah. again, I just finished the book. Miranda, <laughs> but it's Ma- Miranda July literally disappears for the rest of the movie. Exactly. The la- final scene, she's, she, yeah. she walks Which out. is, that final scene is extraordinary. Yeah, it is. I love Stomp. Same. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. My number seven. Yes. Is the best Debut film of the year. Oh, yes, bitch. Fuck yeah. Bing Liu. Right. Is it Liu? It's Bing Liu. But it's L-I-U is how it's spelled. All I know is yeah. at Sundance, he was introduced as Bing Liu. Great. Bing Liu's Minding the Fap. <laughs> Jesus. Future <laughs> Academy Award nominated. Film Minding, Minding the, the Fap. Fap. Um, I, this, as I, as I said recently. You weren't going to watch it. I all I knew I would love this movie because I'd seen the the trailers, but I just like couldn't bring myself to sit down and watch it. And I'm glad I did. It's, we're, it's, we're also it's, glad. it's painful, but it's also cathartic. It's a really. It's a very. It's just. Maybe say what it's about. It's a movie about three boys who grew up together, and Bing Liu has been taping them skating their whole lives basically boyhood wishes and thank you you're welcome i don't know at what point he was like i am turning this into a film but there is there's definitely like the footage that was made for the movie as compared to like the home video footage he had a cache i mean he said it was years later that he threaded this needle and he threw their skater boys he was a skater boy and he said See you, see you later, later boy. boy. Oh, man. Carrie <laughs> said, see you oh, later, boy. boy. Um, <laughs> oh, skater boy. And they deal with all of the trauma in their lives. They, they, reckon, they reckon with toxic masculinity and what they were taught means to be a man and what they like feel the means mm-hmm. to be a man. Was that grammatical? Sure. And... I'll allow it. What they've inherited and what they transcend. Yeah. And it, um, my, I don't know, one of my favorite things that can happen in film is something fairly banal being elevated to transcendence. And that's what skating, that's what happens in these shots of skating because Mm -hmm. you know what it means to them. And. Which also makes me think of the writer. Was it LA film critics who gave it best editing? Yes. Yes. Which I LA, which, mm. which is probably one of my favorite of ones best. of the year. It's yeah. just like it totally deserves that. And yet, who's the the asshole friend? I don't remember their names. 
Uh, I saw it a year ago at yeah. Sundance. It um. Well, anyway, here is the sweet boy. Here's the sweet boy. Well, just type Bing is Zap. Bing Travis himself. Is it Travis? <laughs> That's we'll, a guess. We can call him Travis. He seems like Zach. A Zach. Zach. We watch Zach's journey into fatherhood, into abandoning fatherhood, into returning and to a- abuse of his wife and abuse his wife, and we see him leave um, there in Rockford, Illinois. To He moves to Colorado for a little while. We see him there, and he comes back, and it's just like he's so young. He's still so young, and he just has made shitty choices, and he's learned shitty things, and he's unable to transcend the shitty things the way that Kier is kind of able to transcend a lot of the shit that he's gone through. And Bing Lu is at least able to put something productive out with his trauma. Let's let's point out that he also turns the camera on his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a striking turn of events it's, in this movie. I mean, yeah. it's not vicious, but it is almost vicious. It's pointed. Yes. He It's interrogative. If you haven't seen Mining the Gap, he asks his mom about his stepdad abusing him and what did she know? When did she know it, and why did she let it happen? Mm-hmm. And it's it's some of the most brutal documentary interviews I've ever seen in my life. I um I bring up that I saw it at Sundance not to brag, but because I've said it a couple times, and I just want to be clear, I'm not I'm not calling first or anything. I have it the lowest on my list out of the three of us, so I'm not doing that. But as someone who, for a living, conducts these Q and A's, and someone who's seen a bounty of them, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've ever seen a better post-film Q&A than Mind in the Gap at Sundance this year. Because Bing invited all of the subjects of the film onto the stage. Kier, his mother, all of their friends, Zach. And just watching... It, it, the way that this movie captures life, not just in the moment, but in the moment that leads to the next moment and so on. Like It captures a solid like seven years or so in these people's lives. But in a way that is wholly unpretentious, which is the wrong word to use, but it's getting late. <laughs> um, watching, watching a packed—I saw it at the Egyptian in, in Park City—a packed audience watching the people who just saw their lives dissected in a way that that wasn't didactic, uh, that that seemed to be unfolding in the moment. Yeah. And they really, I, I could tell that everyone on stage felt like the audience had just seen them as people. So when when the moderator, who's a friend of mine, asked Kier, for instance, like, what are you doing now? What's going on? He he was like, everything's going great. But like, you could tell that he felt like he had just told the audience his life story mm-hmm. and he had sort of reached his limitation. Like he, he, he didn't seem upset about it, but he, everyone was so shy. Yeah. His mom was up there. Um, it was just an extraordinary moment. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. brutal, but it's, it's hopeful. Yeah. I it think. is. I think yeah. it is too. I'm so glad that this movie reached an audience because this was, um, I was staying with a friend of mine in Park City who's a programmer at Sundance and a couple of my other friends who programmed there like highly recommended, like if you're going to see something, like check this out. And funny enough, another movie they said was Shirkers and I didn't make it to see that. Um, but they were talking about how you're not going to get a chance to see this movie again. It is the most special, it is maybe the best movie at the festival. Um, so I guess I won't say names because maybe that's talking out of turn. doesn't matter. But basically, I was told to see the movie because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see a cache of lifetimes presented yeah. to you. And I'm just over the moon that it's reached such a broad audience and yeah. that it's winning so many awards and that it will probably get the Oscar nomination. Yeah. yeah. And who knows? Maybe it'll win. I mean, it's a very, I, mean, I think RPG is probably going to win, unfortunately. Oh, I think, 
I think the Mr. Rogers. Oh yeah, duh. Sorry. No, in my mind, Free Solo is still the front runner. Oh, I mean, it could. Be. Oh, people do. Like no, it's I, Free I, Solo. I think or won't, won't You Be you My be... Neighbor, which yeah. is a great movie that we all love. Yeah, it's a very good yeah. movie. Yeah, Mind of the Gap is amazing. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Mind of the Gap is on Hulu. Go watch it. Oh yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I remember as I was sitting down to watch it, I said to fellow film fag Nathan Blancet, "It's on Hulu, but it's not a Hulu movie." And then it starts, and it says. Hulu presents a Hulu film. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. All right. I hope you watch this movie. All right. My number seven is something we'll talk about a little bit later, oh. which is Yorgos Lanthimos is the favorite. Hot. Ah! Hot. Not on my list? Okay. Um, <laughs> oops. Okay. Choices were made. My number six is... Roma, um, is it highest? This yeah. is the highest. Highest it's here? Okay, um, I don't want to talk about this movie. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love, I love. We just talked about I it. I love now. Alfonso Cuaron's so Roma. i the backlash. I'm, just like, it's going to win Best Picture and Director. Get over it. Move on. All right, It's next. a great movie. It's a great movie. I moved, it slowly moved farther down my list because I don't think about it a lot. Me but too. But the two times that I've watched it, I'm rapturously involved. This in. is a problem. It's, I'm not, well, I guess I'm, I already started talking here. This is a problem I have with Quaron films, which is that when I'm watching them, I've never seen a better movie. Yeah. I'm totally enraptured, to use your word. I'm going along for the ride. Fellow film fag Matter Spommer brings him up as sort of a carnival attraction, mm-hmm. like you're on a roller coaster, I believe is the way that he's described it to me with Quaron. Like, you are fully strapped in and he's mm-hmm. guiding you through this story with excitement and yeah. with spills and chills and thrills and you're going up and down the hills and then it's over. Yeah. And then you go on, and then you get on the tilt a world. <laughs> right. Um, I think that Roma is better than that. Right, I think right. Children of Men is better than that. Gravity for me is the movie where I I was so entranced and wrapped up in it. And I then never it. think about it again. I don't really think about it. No. Yeah, I don't really I think about. Think like I think about Sandra Bullock barking. Okay. What? I didn't even like it while I was seeing it. Well, wow. How about that? Hmm. Um, I'll did bring you guys. I'll bring up Roma at the very end of the episode. Great. Um, did you guys see on the THR roundtable when Spike Lee yes. asked? Um, Alfonso Cuaron about the beach scene, like how did you get it? And then Cuaron was talking about how they built the pier and they got it in one take. Yeah. And Spike Lee just looks at him and just says, like, damn, and like shakes yeah. his hand. Yeah. Like that's how people feel about it. There you go. They would like to see it. They would like to see it. Okay. And next. watch it ag- um, and see it again. And again. I'm very I'm excited. It's on Netflix. To be seeing it in 70 millimeter tomorrow. I think Are I'm coming. coming. I think I'm coming. Can I come? Yeah. Uh, I can't. I can't. Is tomorrow Friday? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you believe? Can you believe? I can because this has been a long. By week. the way, that was that was 2018. Can you believe? Can you believe that was 2018? That was a whole That's year. Unbefuckingly believable. Yeah, 2018. 2018 was the longest year on record. Well, My number until six. 2019. <laughs> it was also the hottest year on record, which we'll get to oh. later. We will with, with the vital, most. the most important. I'm just kidding. It is. <laughs> I believe. I agree. <laughs> I would like to agree with it. <laughs> Number, I do agree with that. I would not like number, to see that change the planet. <laughs> number six, which we will continue on burning. Oh, the planet burning, <laughs> <laughs> burning the Hell planet, yeah. burning. My number six is the highest this appears on any list. I believe mm-hmm. it is Choplifters. A Choplifters. We are talking about here. Kazu Koryeda's Choplifters. It's the kind of thing, I mean, like, I know that we all fretted going into this because uh, what was different about doing our year-end wrap-up this year versus last year is we were we did episodes for the entire year, so right. I feel like we just talked about Choplifters. We did. But what I continue to admire about it and through all of Koryeda's work is the ability for multiple things to be true at once. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
listen to the episode. I think Sakura Ando gives a towering performance. Um, they all do. They absolutely do. Um, Kieran Kiki is she extraordinary. She's the standout for me, but yes, they all yeah. do. Um, this is a movie that gets under your skin without you realizing it. It's character-driven. Like Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace and Chloe Zhao's The Writer, it's a movie that focuses on a segment of society that doesn't often get a camera pointed towards it. Um, and I don't know. I Something mean, I love about it that we didn't talk about on the episode, I think, is that um, I love the questions it leaves unanswered. Like, mm-hmm. Like, are they living in a like a makeshift hovel? Like, is it an actual house? Like, we don't, like, it is, but we don't know, like, have they built it out with, like, whatever they've found? The like, way that I've... There are so many questions I agree about with you. space. And I yeah. think that that, I think that that blends right into the idea of multiple things being true. It, the movie asks so many questions. Yeah. And the only one it answers is love. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Togetherness, yeah. the idea of having someone's back and being there for you, mm-hmm. but also, but then at the same time, even that is called into question yeah. um, because this makeshift family doesn't last, and it's not because people can't get over ir- irreconcilable differences. Again, similar to Leave No Trace, I'm, I'm realizing there's shoplifters and Leave No Trace share a lot of DNA. It's because children realize that as much as they love their caregivers, they will not be able to live a fruitful life which has nothing to do with money, um, but just in, they will not be able to grow in this especially cloistered, while love-filled, but cloistered, sheltered environment. Totally. It's, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, I think it's one of the most tender movies of the year, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for still walking from the homework. Shota should be in Best Actor Conversations, he'd, and he's not, he was he's a child. He, um, he was my number uh, six, because again, I did six uh, nominees on my on my acting ballots this yeah. year. And then I swapped him out for Ben Foster, which I stand by, because I think Ben Foster gives one of the best performances of the year. But yes, Shota is, is right up there with him. Yeah, totally. Listen to the episode. Totally. Do it. Um. um what? Um. Y- y- y'all are doing cat paws. Um, right we're doing we're doing Alexis, Alexis Schitt's Creek. Creek. What else oh. does she say? She says, um, not um, but she goes. When like someone says, she's always like, oh, mm. oh, or hmm, mm. hmm. <laughs> anyway, okay. Watch Schitt's <laughs> Creek season five now on Pop TV. Is it on? Oh, has it started? It started. Wow. My parents are DVRing it, oh, and I'm like, yeah. I have to wait till Netflix. Fuck yeah. You fuckers. Okay. Anyway. Pop off, <laughs> mom and dad. Five. Pop off. <laughs> pop off on Pop TV. Okay, we're at number five. Top five. Top five. Hey, here we are. Hey, here we go. Okay, it's two this hours. This is the one. This is the highest ranked movie that does not appear on either of our lists. And it is the third highest grossing movie of all time. Ryan Coogler's. Domestically. Domestically, thank you. Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. The best Marvel movie ever made, ever will be made. One of the best superhero movies ever made. Um, I, I, we, me, me and Daniel had a side conversation about this, how we struggled to define it as a Marvel movie because it's so many other things before it's a Marvel movie. It's mm-hmm. a sci-fi. Um, what did I write down? Let me pull up my notes. It's, so it, rich it's, with it's, ideas. it's a trenchant yes, discussion of identity. It's 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 a sci-fi and movie. Allegiance. It's um a fam- a rich family drama steeped in history and culture. It's all those things. It's James Bond. Bef- it's it's a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. It's all these things before it's a Marvel movie. But 
you you have to say it is a Marvel movie because that because that also by saying it's not a Marvel movie, it discounts what Ryan Coogler was able to achieve. He was able to achieve something singular. He was able to achieve a vision. He was able to achieve a very powerful message inside the massive corporate machine that is Marvel, and that is huge. Yeah. It's revolutionary. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a celebration of diversity. Um, it's. 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 The performances are great. Chadwick is great. Um, I mean, Michael B. Jordan gives us, you know, Killmonger was right. Uh, one of the best, yeah. the best Marvel villain there will ever be. And one of the best performances of the year. Yeah. Um, and some of the best pecs of the year, quite frankly. True. Ah, a lot of pecs. A lot of hots. Um, yeah, I love Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. I would just like to say, on the episode that we recorded this, I was quite negative because I was reacting to the discourse. I'm very, very sensitive to framing myself in the discourse, but it is more positive than negative. I'll say that. No, I agree. It's, um, I, cause it is so rich with ideas, even if I can't stand superhero movie traffic. I continue to yeah. think it has one of the most fascinating dialogues of the year, which is this idea of Oakland, African-American identity versus, this uh, versus versus what Wakanda stands for and how just because two characters are black do not mean that they come from the same experience. Mm-hmm. In fact, that clashing of the ideas provides the central tension of the film between Killmonger and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And I also love that Coogler is unafraid to critique Wakanda yeah. and to say that perhaps its isolationism is detrimental to a more global population of folks yeah. with, 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 with shared histories. Yeah. Um, and um, I feel that most importantly, and, and about 20,000 things down the rung, it's the first superhero movie my dad has ever liked. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that has to, like, for me anyway, like, I, when I was younger and I, and I liked these mov- superhero movies a little bit more, I, I remember trying to get my dad to watch The Dark Knight, which I have to say I still think is a pretty it's fantastic pretty film. Um, I don't and, think we are haters here. No, no, no. No, I love Dark Knight. Um, but my dad wouldn't engage with it because there was makeup on the Joker's face and because Batman wore a suit. And I was... I was impressed. I mean, it, Black Panther is not about white dads coming to the multiplex. That's not what it's about. But I was I was impressed that it was able to puncture through my own dad's um, prejudices about the genre. Yeah. Um, you know, I I wondered like, oh, was I just swept up in it all? Like everyone, you know, in February. But then I rewatched it. It's on Netflix. Not yeah. for long. It'll get ripped down because yeah, it's it'll Disney. Go on, what's it called? Disney Watch or whatever. <laughs> um, but I rewatched it's it. It's called Bow and, Down. And it's, you are it's, nothing. It's, it's it's a two and a half hours that breezes by for me. Shout out to future Academy Award nominee SZA. You know. Well, we know this is this is the development I've been tracking <laughs> through all of Oscar season. Is Solana's first Oscar nomination? Um, yeah, I love Black Panther. I think the final scene with Alex Hibbert is pretty incredible too. Um, just just what it's saying about role models and yeah. leadership, and and because the film does have a generation generational aspect with Black Panther's father, and I love so much the sort of um, psychedelic uh, savanna scene um, mm-hmm. where he goes when he's under the sand, yep. um, which is about several things, including what gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, when I was watching The Godfather Part Two the other day, I was so struck by that that same idea, like what gets passed down and what gets lost. And the final moment between uh, Black Panther and Alex Hibbert's character just says so much to me about, about the the best of ourselves that we can pass down and what representation means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good movie. Great movie. Number five of the year, Black Mine, Panther. Number five. 
as she takes this. Oh. Oops, we'll I talk about it more in a moment. It's Lucrezia Martel's. Did not do a good accent there. Sama. Sama. We'll talk about it. And your number five. My number five is. Oh, you're gonna love this. No spoilers. My number five is another. Or actually, no, maybe not, because you said you shifted your list. But my number five is Barry Jenkins of Beale Street mm-hmm. Could Talk, mm-hmm. which I know that we'll talk about later. We'll talk about it later. Well, I would on. like. I would like to talk about it. I would like to talk about it. Okay, number four is. Tamara Jenkins's Private Life. Hell yeah. Private Life. Now available on Netflix. Speaking of things that, that get my passed down. Watch. We were looking for something to watch the night before I left for Christmas, after Christmas. And we were just like dicking around on Netflix. And I was like, oh my God, we have to watch Private Life. You would love it. And she was in the second it started. I meant to show my parents to Mom, I know you're listening. Go watch Private Life with Dad. Okay. Hi, <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, Mrs. Kirby. Congratulations Han. to all of the Netflix films high up on all of our lists. <laughs> well, there's there's more to come. Netflix, <laughs> Netflix, Netflix can Venmo us $50 per mention. They can Venmo us $1 billion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One for each watch that Bird Box got. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I'm – I wanted to tease you guys with doing a Bird Box episode. Mm. Not going to happen. How fun would that be? I'm not falling for the Netflix astroturfing. I know it's a conspiracy theory. I know it's been partly disproved. Bird Box did not have an organic reaction by the internet. It was Mm. all a plant by Netflix. I love that. I Mm. love that lady, the lady from Bird Box. That's good, though. That's That's the new conspiracy theory. (laughs) Okay. What am I talking about? Oh, I'm talking about Catherine. Ew. Catherine Hans. Incredibly lived in performance here when she is scrubbing the bathtub preparing for the visitation to like see if they can adopt or whatever from the social worker mm-hmm. and she gets out of the tub and she, paul giamatti huh oh, i'm just interjecting but continue. paul giamatti is like what do we do about this painting it's yeah. a painting of a naked woman on a wall and she, and Catherine hahn my favorite scene of the movie second to the applebee's sure mm-hmm. is Catherine hahn being like well, we can't have a fucking vagina on the wall. And she yeah. goes, she fucking pops off about a vagina. Meanwhile, she is bottomless. Yes. Presenting Julian her Moore own shortcuts. vagina. Her it's so, so good. And then it's a hard cut to them pleasantly sitting yeah. with their dog. Underneath the vagina. Underneath the vagina. Mm-hmm. It's, it's brilliant, that scene. And then um, Kayla... Kaylee Carter, which I was going to bring up. She is a revelation. Stars she born. is also a Stars Born performance. Mm-hmm. She, um, yeah. she makes the movie, and she wasn't supposed to be in the movie, and they found her like two weeks before they started shooting. Yep. And she was. She came from the theater. I love a happy a accident. Discovery. Mm-hmm. Truly such a discovery. I think my favorite scene in the movie is when Catherine Hahn finds out that Paul Giamatti is open to the street. Yeah, they're on the street. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, uh, so good. That getting an egg donor. Yeah. And she freaks out and yeah. realizes that maybe this isn't the relationship she thought she was in. And yeah. It just like spirals from there's this one little deception. I mean, it's not a little deception. It's just a misunderstanding even. It's mm-hmm. not malicious that Paul Giamatti, when the... It seemed like they could probably conceive with Catherine Hahn's eggs. He was willing to say, "Of course, I would never have a baby with a, without your genetic contribution." Is the word that they use in the movie. Yeah. But 
once it seems they've exhausted that option and he's like well i would i would like to see it <laughs> uh she pops off she pops off and it is it's tamra jenkins in all of these interviews she talks about this is not a movie about having a baby this is a movie about this relationship and that's what that scene really gets at and i think it's important to bring up that paul giamatti is also excellent and yeah. i think it's his second best performance he's ever given mm-hmm. next after to miles and sideways, sideways. oh Correct. no 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 next after cinderella man excuse oh, sure. me no it's sideways and then private life after john adams <laughs> he's so good john adams y'all know i, I hate y'all know i hate tom hooper but he paul giamatti and laura lenny are so fantastic in john adams uh, it, it's a scene early on, so it's far from the best scene to bring up. I more love the ways in which Paul Giamatti gets rebuffed for his sense of humor by the ladies in the house and, and how he's trying to give Kaylee Carter uh, a space to feel like she's at home. He seems to constantly be negotiating these awkward moments as the film goes on. And I'm so moved by how normal the normalization that is brought on in that unit, but also it's it's not some sort of sunny portrait that doesn't take into account the ways in which humans can butt up against one another such as the scene where Kaylee Carter and Catherine Hahn are in bed together. Um, yeah. And we're running long, so I, I won't know. say much more. Oh, um, yeah, when she's wearing, she's like, huh, who wears uh, yes. Lane Bryant sweaters? And she looks at her label. You she's can't like, even <laughs> see your body or whatever. She's, she's um, like, it's I, yeah, she's getting I, I, I want to talk about just uh, quickly, uh, they go to Famous Dave's. Uh, the sense of place that Tamara, mm-hmm. ta- Tamara, right? It's strong. I think it's Tamara. Tamara, yeah, um, that she creates when you know they're uh, recounting the story of the the lost um, donor. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And, and so adoption. at the end, adoption. So at the end, when they're sitting at the Applebee's, just the way the payoff of that is th- just incredible. I think we're going to talk about Barry Jenkins later as being a symphonic filmmaker, and that his films move through movements and i think that you have to give jenkins credit for that in private life as well especially when you think about the whole segment of the film uh the film within a film Mm -hmm. about the donor who was sort of abusing them uh, for attention and and, and to feel connectivity um private life is a digressive movie like it 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 it, it, it's a bunch of short stories with one overarching uh, relationship and theme and i think you have to give jenkins credit um both are jenkins oh my yeah. god both both <gasps> the Jen- jenkinses yeah. i'll tell you this <laughs> what the jenkinses have going for them is that they are both symphonic filmmakers with a heavy emphasis on character yeah. also go watch the savages i Thank love you. savages is great that molly shannon's character is not reduced to like just a the shrew bitch, bitch mother she's yeah. not wrong i mean no she's not wrong. she ever. hasn't been in the apartment with us in new york she doesn't understand the unit that yeah. these people have built the reaction she has at thanksgiving is very reasonable everything yeah. and when she's in the when uh, sadie's in the hospital it's when we don't even see the conversation they have mm-hmm. we just see it through the window and mm-hmm. we just know the con- you don't need to see that conversation you know what it is and yeah. then hard cut to Paul Giamatti deflating Kaylee's bed. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Chef's kiss. Next. Beautiful. Fantastic. My number four, the latest movie by my favorite living filmmaker (laughs) is Let the Sun Shine In. Nice. Directed by Claire Denis. I don't let myself go. It's such a beautiful, moving portrait of a woman still looking for love willing to be humiliated, willing to be 
thrown around and doing things that I would never do in my life because I'm emotionally closed off and I don't want to waste the time. And I just, I'm so enamored of the way that this movie shows, I mean, the Claire Denis thing of the distance between two people Mm -hmm. and the way that Julia Binoche is just pushing on, keeping on, keeping on. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, one thing that I wish I had mentioned in our episode about it because I hadn't seen it in like seven months when we talked about it was yes, she's willing to debase herself for any brief chance of love, but watching it a second time, which made me love it even more. I was, I was taken aback by the walls that remain not so much open or closed emotional borders, but that she does have, she does have the ability to put her foot down. Like Mm -hmm. there is agency there. Like she's not, I think about the scene with the actor when they start to get back together and then she's like, actually, um, <laughs> this didn't work out so well yeah. last time around. We're not going to fall back into this. That's true. Um, the, char- the character is not totally flighty. The character is not completely um, pitiful in her search for love. She, she's still a fully formed human being. Yeah. Um, something that strikes me about it, um, to borrow what Ben talked about a long time ago in our Ladybird episode, is the Tarkovsky elements of the film's relationship yeah. to memory. Um, the reason why this film moves and fits and starts, and I don't mean that in a negative way, um, I mean that different focus is put upon different relationships throughout the film in the way that you think of every man you've ever been with in your entire life. And some of them you can boil down to a sentence, to a brief encounter, uh, to one date, to one night together. Um, Other people, if you're to tell the story, it'll take two hours. And this film manages to cram in an entire year's worth of dating without assigning equal importance to everybody. And I know that sort of seems like storytelling 101, but it's really not um, in the way that the film so heartfeltly duplicates one's own experience of looking back on past love while you're still in the search for it. Like she's not, she, she, she's not with some of these men. She doesn't, there's not much romance involved. I mean, with the asshole, with the very specific whiskey pouring instructions, the sex is there. But the sex isn't even that good. Like, yeah. it's more a physical relationship. It's, you know, she's a mistress. It has a different dimension to it. Um, whereas, she's fucking him because he's there. Exactly, yeah. But then with the actor, she tries a little harder, and she sees a million red flags, but she keeps going. And I think maybe that's why we see him on the subway stop later as the only lover that we spend time with, yeah. apart from Gerard Depardieu at the end. Because yeah. we see, I forgot, we see him in the car with his yeah. soon-to-be ex. Right. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I'm just very moved by it, and... Um, and I think one of the best scenes of the year, certainly the single greatest piece of acting, is Juliette Binoche describing to her friend in the restaurant mm. what's going on with her right now when yeah. she's talking about how this guy fills her. Like, she's just gushing about how great it is. And then in the same close-up, she turns on a dime and starts crying, yeah. <laughs> talking about how empty she feels and how, yeah. and how lonely it makes her feel. Um, and it's I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching The Favorite uh, with Olivia Coleman. It's not a matter of being able to cry in a scene. It's not a matter of like expressing joy and then deciding now I'm going to feel sad. Like, I guess anyone can do that. And then I can be like, things are going well. (sighs) Actually, things are, I'm kind of in a rough spot. Like there's, there's something beyond eyes welling up with tears that Olivia Coleman and the favorite and Juliette Binoche do and let the sun shine in. They're just fully in the moment and fully human. And I relate so hard to Isabel. I, I won't get into it, but I, 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 everything she says is something I have felt and I, I don't let myself go is one of the best lines of the year for me. Certainly one that I relate to the most. It's a beautiful film. It is. It's, I enjoy it. It's like, (laughs) like, I don't regret watching it. (laughs) 
it's I'd like to see it again. Do that make sense? Minutes. I feel yeah. like we're two hours in, so it's just like I'm rambling. We're rambling. Portion. We are yeah. rambling. But I just would like to say, I guess all of my top movies of the year are like very structurally interesting and inventive, but I feel like this is dark, complicated. This is the most like I've never seen a movie structured like this before. Mm-hmm. And just it's on its own it's in its own rhythm, but not in a off putting way. And it's like I it's it's a shortish movie, but it, it feels even shorter. It feels it literally feels like it's forty five minutes long to me. Yeah. And there it is does. a there's a point close to the end, she's walking across the bridge and I was like and I'm like, Oh, this is it. We are at the end and you're like, wait. Let me look at my watch, yeah. and it's been ninety minutes. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like oh, Gerard's coming up. Yep, the movie's over. Claire, it's a perfect film. Claire Denis. Claire, can't you're the fuck box. Can't wait for year of the fuck life. box. Okay, next. Get ready. My number four is Orson Welles's The Other Side of the Wind. Yes, is that the highest we'll see it. Yeah. Not only is it the highest we'll see Pop it, off. It, it's the gayest movie of the year. Nice. Is it? Um, I mean, better than the favorite. I have the favorite ranked lower. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you think it's gayer. God, Ben, I'm, I, I just had a line in my head about this movie because it'll maybe entice people to watch it who haven't seen it. All right, it's more like the other. I don't know. There's something about. I feel like we actually did a pretty good job talking about the other side of the wind on our Mm -hmm. episode. So I will just say, I've brought this movie up to people, friends of mine, people I went to film school with, even, or or just folks I talk to on the internet who have a passing interest in film at least, and I talk about how much I loved the film and they say oh yeah I'm gonna get around to it yeah almost as if it's homework like yeah. it, it, it's sort of an obligation that you have to see the other side of the wind it's mm-hmm. this movie that was 40 years in the making and um it's this magic trick of film restoration and assemblage and and um and and, and also Netflix being a bit of a patron saint to the yeah. film in order to get it financed it, it's almost renaissance in that way but this movie is so captivating <laughs> um it has a crackling energy that you can certainly see in Epp Fake and other Orson Welles movies, but it feels so of the contemporary era in a way, in a way, in a way, in a way, that you have to say that it's ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it it juggles 50 different characters and yet stays steadfastly upon one man's descent into his own uh, shame, obsolescence, whatever you want to call it. And the film within a film, which is the Antonioni ripoff, produces some of the most striking images of the year, while also skewering that entire style of filmmaking. Um, I think it's extraordinary. Um, I think it's one of the great California movies. And it's also fascinating to see an artist reckon with himself in that way, even though I don't necessarily think that John Huston is 100% a Wells analog. But I think that the culture clash happening in this movie between elder statesman Huston and this new Hollywood around him, this... Uh, voracious row of critics, uh, imitators, um, acolytes. There's just a fascinating conversation going on about about the way that artists interact with other artists and how they compare their own um, importance, and since it's an artist, their own sense of identity against other people as well. And I think that Norman Lloyd gives one of the best performances of the year. Yeah. I, I think he's ultimately heartbreaking, but he's very funny. It, it's one of the most present performances I've seen this year, and I love this movie to death i mean other side of the wind is a fucking masterpiece john houston has an unmatched depth in what he is able to bring no one else would have been able to bring to that part what no. he brings to it because he is a filmmaker and because he probably was experiencing the same woes of dealing with the 
the younger, the, the film school brats mm-hmm. coming up. And I don't know. It's just it's just a beautiful, explicitly gay movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I actually think we did a pretty good job talking about this one. So I don't want to rehash anything we've yeah. already said. But it's... Um, it is vital viewing, which does not mean that it's a chore. Mm-hmm. It's an exhilarating piece of filmmaking. And certainly the people that we know, both here in LA and hopefully people who listen to the show share some sort of sensibility with us. Um, and also friends that we have on the internet. This is a movie that seems made for all of us. Like yeah. it just, it, there's no reason to, to assign this movie some sort of, um, to assume that you're taking off some dusty book off, off the library shelf. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely refreshing. And yeah. I think it's, it might as well be my best movie of the year, except I like three movies better. Fair. Other Side nice. of the Wind. Now on Netflix. Thank you. Again. There it was. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's going to keep getting, well. Is yeah, that we it? have another one. Oh, of course we do. Yeah. We have another Netflix movie coming. We do? Yeah. Yes, we do. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> okay. My number three is Mariel Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Starring Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. This movie is queer, and what's so exciting is that the plot is not driven by their queerness. They just, this phrase is tossed around a lot, lot, but they just happen to be queer. It doesn't propel their story. It doesn't, it's not an obstacle to what they're trying to do. It's just so refreshing that they hang out in Julius. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's funny. It's deeply sad. It's poignant. It's, um, uh, what's her name? Deborah Wells? No. What's her name? No. Oh, Dolly Wells. Dolly Wells oh, oh, yeah. um, gives an incredible supporting actress performance. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is there to say about this movie? It's um, the autumnal tones mm-hmm. of, of the mid '90s in New York. It's like a you're, you're, it's like a warm. It's like you're living inside the pages of a, a warm, comfortable book. Yeah. Mira Heller is an incredible. Director, the script from Nicole Holof Center and Jeff Woody is great. Um, it's what a dark, layered. Texture, no, uh, what is Dolly Wells? Caustic wit. Caustic wit. <laughs> um, Caustic wit. Jane, what's her name? Um, Jane Curtin. Jane yeah. Curtin is <laughs> scathing and great. About the toilet paper rolls. The toilet paper rolls. I think about That's that the moment I fell in love with the movie um, when she steals the toilet paper. I fell in love with the first scene when when Melissa McCarthy gets fired, flicks her ice yeah. into the trash and, and puts her the glass the in the glass. satchel. Back in, her, back in her satchel. The movie is about a, it's a radical movie because it's a movie about, uh, I mean, she doesn't even go to jail. I mean, she is on like probation by the end. I've and and the time of my life. And it, the stakes feel so high and to take, you know, sort of what you said, Ben, like taking very ordinary I mean, yeah, she's committing yeah. forgery, but like it's, it's petty the, crime. It's not the big of a deal, um, but it's elevated to something that's so much bigger. It feels like a heist. Movie. It feels like yeah. a heist movie. Um, it feels like the third act of Goodfellas. But really, what's radical about it is that it's really about a queer middle-aged woman trying to pay to care for her sick cat, mm-hmm. and in that, and her friend, and yeah, her I think that's with her friend, and yeah. her relationship with her friend, her gay friend. Yeah, yep. and and this is where I'll say I I I. As someone who like works for a queer film festival, I completely understand the line about how their queerness is incidental. Like it's not it, it, it's mm-hmm. not the main thrust of the movie. Um, and I think that's important in in, in queer stories that um, you said it, Brandon. That their queerness is not an obstacle to mm-hmm. to their goals. But at the same time, I, I think I think that the characters 
being queer is absolutely instrumental to the journey itself. Like the reason right. that the reason that she's able to commit this forgery in the first place is because she already exists on the margins. Mm-hmm. She 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 her perspective to her perspective to manipulate the system is something that queer people have to deal with every day. Yeah. How are you going to get by in a world that is not about you? Mm-hmm. Um, and their relationship is fundamentally built upon the queerness. It's not just that they meet in Julius, but that they're outsiders. And then of course, Richard E. Grant, who's extraordinary in the movie as is Melissa McCarthy. His journey is very much about being a gay man. All of his friends are dead. You know, yeah. they, they've all, they've all died of AIDS and he has contracted HIV and it's, it's sort of about his last hurrah as he knows that, the twilight of his life will go the way that his friends have. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, I, I completely understand the idea that they're queer characters and it's not about them being queer, but I do think that that is fundamental to, to the DNA. I think it's a case of, of both things can plot be true. In the picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think, I think that the most important thing that you said though, is in terms of that idea is that them being uh, a gay man and a lesbian is not an obstacle. Um, it's just the fabric it's an of obstacle. their lives. It's an obstacle for all of us in its own yeah. way in terms of but it's just fighting the fabric against this. It's not of... a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. Yeah. It's not a gay tragedy. Yeah. Right, right. And this is a movie where a character we are led to believe dies of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And their last interaction is still really charming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 She's it, like, I had the urge to trip you just now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't wallow in the tragedy of it while also being deeply empathetic towards the death of her cat to the severing of their friendship. Um, I think Mary Heller is a tremendous talent, and I think mm-hmm. she has a real talent for um, evoking melancholy and period pieces. Go um, watch The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which I think is on Netflix. It's on something. It's on something. It's on something. Seek it out. My number three is the favorite. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, All right. It's not I'm on Netflix. I'm going to pop off real quick about the pop discourse. I am, if I see one more person say... That, oh, this was such a fun, wicked movie, but I don't think I'm going to think about it that much. If I see, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to kill them. And I'm going to kill, kill them. I'm going to kill them and myself. Commit murder. We're going to take that out of context. Send you Fine. to jail. Great. Uh, that, hey, as, happy to be there. As long as you're finally, thinking, as long as you're I would like to be the there. Yeah. As long as you're I thinking about like the favorite. I would like to be there. Um, because this movie is profoundly sad. It's about the these three women being under the thumb of patriarchy even though they are some two of them are in a very high position one is in the highest position and one is ascending to a higher position and this movie i feel is the the most crystallized uh example of a theme that i think is all over 2018 movies which is that your station in life is temporary. No matter what it is, no matter who you are, it can be taken away from you at any moment. And I think, I mean, I'm... Watch this space. Here we are. <laughs> um, yes? Yes, Elliot? What's yes, that e. doing? He's poking his I know that, like, we're... It's, it's not a response to the president, but we are in a period in American history where... No one really knows what's going to happen to any of us in the future. Literally, the entire, not even the country, the entire world. Yeah. yeah. It's, the mo- it's the most urgent American movie in years. None of us know what's happening. And I think that this movie really speaks to that very well. I completely agree with that. And, and yeah. The movie is wicked mm-hmm. and it, it is, is and it is a blast. Mm-hmm. And I get such a kick. A finger blast. Oh, Brandon Kirby. Yeah. 
But I just don't know when the last 10 minutes of the movie are what they are. How do you leave thinking, that was so fun. No, I agree. That's your first fucking Well, here's what I'll say. When those bunnies are swirling, I'm crying. Here's what I'll say. And I agree with you. I think it's one of the saddest movies of the year. And there's a there's a... There when is, Olivia Coleman has succumbed to gout and she's like half when, paralyzed. It reminds ah. it actually reminds me a lot of Hillary Swank's performance in Million Dollar Baby and yeah. that you expect a certain type of performance with Swank a charisma and a physical prowess and then it becomes more about a physical limitation yeah. and she's still able to express such deep pathos through it with Olivia Coleman you are expecting a mad queen like a, a woman whose mental illness is both a source of tremendous sadness and an occasional laugh like yeah. In, in, in a way that is, I think, not problematic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last 10 minutes of the movie, um, once she has succumbed to gout, but furthermore, she has lost the love of her life through deception, um, it becomes a much darker, layered, complicated performance. Yeah. It's, she, 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 ends up, she ends up doing the same thing as I bring up Hilary Swank because then she is doing the same thing where she is expressing deep pathos through a physical limitation. Mm-hmm. I cried. Um, a lot watching it the second time. Yeah. And I, we talked about it on our favorite episode. I had a really difficult time watching this movie because of what was going on in my theater around me, but watching it at home on a screener, wish I could have seen it again on the theater and on a big screen in a theater, but I wasn't willing to trespass um, to take that risk. But watching both watching Rachel Vice toss Anne's letters into the fire that made me cry. But uh, what really devastated me is the scene where Anne is fully in gout's grasp. We, the, the preceding scene is Emma Stone partying, um, totally fallen. It, you can't call it capitalism cause it's not capitalism. It's monarchy, but she has totally fallen into the sloth and gross excess of wealth and, and the complacency that breeds. Um, and, and just the disgusting qualities of your character that come out. And she's summoned to the queen's chambers where Anne needs help. She just needs someone to rub her legs. And Emma Stone is wasted and trying to get Anne to party with her for a minute. And does she rub her legs? Yes. And does she want to? Sure, because that guarantees her station. Um, or does she need to rub her legs? Yes. But does she want to? No. And there's something so heartbreaking and devastating to me about Anne being left alone at the end of this, where she was always going to succumb to this to this disease. I mean, she was going to become physically impaired. Um, but think about how much happier she would have been if Sarah had been the one yeah. in the room taking care of her. her legs. And also, Anne... I'm so moved when Emma Stone has to lay down and Anne calls for the doctor. Yeah. When Emma Stone was summoned there to take care of the queen. Exactly. And she has to take care of Emma Stone. Yeah. That, and, and that's the way that the scene goes. Yeah. I find it utterly heartbreaking. Same. Um, while also taking a great deal of delight in a pigeon's blood being... Mm burst upon Rachel Vice's face. Um, it's it, it it can be both. It's like a magical lifters. movie. It's, it's why we go to the movies. Don't you think there's something... Um, again, it's not capitalism because it's a monarchy, but there's something there, and I know we're running late, so I'll, I'll make this brief, but there's something about Emma Stone's ascent breaking up a great love. Mm-hmm. And the film doesn't completely judge her for it it's a movie full of judgment Yorgos Lanthimos thinks humans are monsters (laughs) we are beings capable of enormous cruelty and ultimately that gets the best of us more than our better judgment but there's just something so damning about Emma Stone's need to retake her place at court of course it's all relative her need Um, but to, to reassert herself 
And the only way she can do it is to drive a knife through the shared heart of Sarah and Anne Mm -hmm. to the point where she's throwing away the letter that Sarah finally writes to Anne for reconciliation. I think about that with scene a lot. But what's really compelling about Lanthimos's vision here is the close-up on Emma Stone's face after she throws the letter in the fire and she's crying. Mm -hmm. There is remorse, but there's the idea that she has to do it. That might not necessarily be true, but I just think about the ways in which we destroy each other when we are when we are trying to improve ourselves, not entirely out of selfish gain, but out of self-preservation right. and, and just the casualties that lay in our wake as a result of that and how inevitable that is. I mean, we're just a bunch of pinging little electrons against each other. Yeah. Um, anyway, right, yeah, right. it just breaks my heart. I would like to see it again. <laughs> you should see it again. I'll give you your screener back. Thank you. I'd yeah. like to have it. Yes. Also, yes. rare example of a period piece where the production design does deserve an award. It's not just a matter of like grand palaces and really ornate wallpapers. Yeah. Like, but that gout. The gout is important. Best uh, gout. gout. Best gout. Also, right. okay, yes, next. Let's move on. Um, number three, we'll talk about it later, is Lee Chundong's Burning. Nice. Great. My number two, which we will talk about in just a moment, is Barry Jenkins's If Bilk Street Could Talk. And now back to me. Yes. Welcome. Hello. I'll be brief. Um, I'll just promote, I'm going to write about this, so read my article when I write Yay. it. Yay. I'm, my number two is Alice Roarwarkers. What? I've lost it. <laughs> Alice Roarwarkers. Lazaro Felice. Lazaro Felice. Happy as Lazaro, now on Netflix. Um, oh, right. That's it, the other Netflix. Yeah. It's, it's an important piece of cinema. It's um, it won Best Screenplay at Cannes. It's about a young peasant boy in a young faggot. At first, you don't know what time you're in. Is this like a hundred years ago? Is this the la- years the ago? labor violations you certainly truly feel antiquated? No, and then the the rich people descend upon their villa where these people are working, and they're harvesting tobacco, I think. And uh, Lazaro is a sweet young carbon sink, pure young man. And he forges a bond with the rich son, Tancredi. And Tancredi basically forces Lazaro to pretend like Lazaro has kidnapped Tancredi. And they they run away for a bit. And then more ensues, and I won't spoil it. Yeah, we don't it, need to get into it. But it's this Bressonian style of acting that really means a lot to me. And it is just the cinema of stolen glances and I read the movie as gay and I know a lot of people don't. Um, it, well, it's this not, this is our right as faggots. It's not seems sexual gay to me. It's not, there's like, there's nothing sexual about it, but it's definitely homosexual romantic love to me. Yes. yes. Um, and nothing anyone can point to would change my mind. I will give you, maybe he's asexual, but he's like, there's a, homosocial bond at least mm-hmm. um anyway i'm just so moved everything that happens in this movie i love when there's a character who is just willing to sacrifice everything for someone else right even if at first they are doing it against their will basically but he is a literal saint and he is able to it's i'm losing my no mind. i know I, i'll i'll how about it sure it's against his will and that tancredi is the well it's not just tancredi he's the one who sort of forces lazaro to do this fake this kidnapping is capitalism also I, oh it and this, this is this is a movie about the hand this of is capitalism. this is ultimately why i returned to the movie i mean in, in, in its 
when you think about when you think about a system of exploitation, there's someone at the top and there's someone at the bottom. Mm-hmm. In between, there's ten thousand chains of command right. of people shoving the worst responsibility that they have onto the person beneath them in this in this chain, right? Mm-hmm. And Lazaro is the bottom rung of the ladder. Um, it's not just Tancredi saying you have to pretend like you kidnapped me and then feed me. Mm-hmm. It's everyone else who works on yeah. on this farm um, is constantly shouting out his name to make yeah. him do the worst possible tasks yeah. and to manipulate. Lazaro. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, the meme of the movie, right? Is mm-hmm. people shouting Lazaro into, into a field of wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also that he, you know, in the beginning of the movie, I think it's very instructive to what War Walker is getting at. He's forced to like sleep on rocks outside mm-hmm. of a chicken coop to make sure the animals don't escape. Yeah. And the person who tasks him with it says like, I'll be back in like an hour. Yeah. And Lazaro just sleeps there. Mm-hmm. And the movie doesn't like, doesn't have like a tight close up on his face as his right. eyes open and greets the sun. It's a, it's a fellow worker. And I believe her son who like see him in the morning and they're like, Oh, okay. Like wake up. <laughs> like you're still here. Um, I'm, 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 I'm really struck by the moral clarifications of the movie. And I have to say one thing yeah, that, please. that basic, that kind of will have to spoil it a little bit, the turn, but I think it is probably the, best choice in this movie that we never see the young Tancredi again. Yeah. Um, and we do revert back in time a little bit, um, but that we never are able to get that satisfaction. I think it's so powerful and beautiful. And I think that this movie really reaches the sublime at that halfway m- moment when Lazaro is felled by disaster and then the movie becomes a bit surrealist. and Follow a little wolf. Magical realism a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... It's just such a, I think it's a beautiful way to take Italian realism into the 21st century. I mean, just into the surreal. Um, mm-hmm. I completely agree. I mean, we, we have to move on and mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say too much because yeah. I know that you love this the most. So I think, like, I know that it's just so close to your heart. Like, I, I don't, this should really as I As I said, it. it's the movie of all of the movies that I could see myself making. Mm, yeah. In it's the closest to what I think I want to do with my life. I find it really moving just the resilience of the human spirit in the movie. Not, not that, not just that like everybody is making the best of bad situations. Um, but that Lazaro ends up, you know, he's, he ends up taking quite a beating at the end of the film and yet his soul transfers into another being and it still continues. The baseness of humans cannot beat out the best of what is human inside of Lazaro. And that is what makes this a classic. I it mean, moves me so deep. I can, you know, I have to be honest with myself. I just cannot, I cannot move it any higher on my list because I loved the other movies more. But I feel completely comfortable saying that Lazaro is the movie we're going to be paying more attention to mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's an instant classic. Yeah, I agree. Next, are we on to number I'd one? Like to see it. Oh no, it's yours. It's your no, number we two. Unfortunately, still have two more. My number two is the most urgent piece of American filmmaking in years. <laughs> Take a bite. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> My number two is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Hell yeah. It's not just that this is the most insistent film made about climate change in terms of our own inevitable demise by our complacency, by our system which prioritizes corporate gain over the words that we actually preach about our neighbors. This movie, you could call it cynical, but I don't think it is, even though it has a really 
<laughs> really upsetting conclusion. It, it's very, obviously it's Schrader, so it bears a massive resemblance to Taxi Driver, and that it's a man's descent into radicalization. The difference between Travis Bickle's descent and Reverend Toller's descent is that Bickle's is... Um, Pickles is wrong. <laughs> um, he reacts incorrectly to a world around him of, of, of degenerates and, and of violence. He, he descends into it. Whereas Reverend Toller grows incredibly disillusioned by the world around him when it comes to the world saving itself. Um, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, we have totally fucked. Uh, we, we have screwed the pooch um, in terms of saving ourselves from an inevitable uh, climate disaster, um, as the film points out time and time again. Um, but I don't think that it's any sort of environmental screed. Like, I don't think that it's a message. It is a message movie, but it's not a movie that only exists to say um, we are all going to die suffocating of smoke or we will drown um, or we will burn up. Um, it's not content to wallow in that despair, which Reverend Toller um, articulates at, th at, at the inception of his radicalization um, with the Amanda Seyfried character's husband, who is an environmental activist who uh, will um, take his own life uh, be because of his own despair about the world, because he doesn't believe that he and his wife should bring a child into the world. Um, the film isn't so much about that as it is the relationship between a man of faith and a world that he is surrounded by, which bears no resemblance um, to, to the divine grace that, that he has been preaching. Yeah. He's already disillusioned. I mean, he, he views himself as culpable um, in his son's death in the Iraq Actors war. Culpable. Actors culpable. Um, it's, it's about someone who... I, I think that Reverend Toller ends the film believing in God. Yeah. I think the end of the film is an act of divine grace, even though I think I have the more downward view of the film, mm -hmm. um, of, the, of its conclusion. But no film has been that I have seen um, as I've been alive, as I've been watching movies, has struck at the existential dilemma of believing, not just believing in the best of your surroundings and believing in the best of people around you, but believing that we're on some sort of path that, in the words, you know, like Barack Obama loved to quote about the arc of justice, or, or the, you know, the arc bending towards justice, right? Reverend Toller wants to believe that. Uh, God will save us, um, or we will we will we will tilt towards our godliness eventually save ourselves, um, but realizes that that's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm rambling, but I, I it's a movie that that speaks about climate change. It speaks about the Iraq War. It speaks about a world that feels less and less close to any sort of divine presence. Um, it's a world. It, it, it's it, it it's a worldview that is fundamentally about a corporate America versus the rest of us and how they control the message, and how they might underwrite a historic church that helped shuttle slaves northbound, uh, or, or northward, um, on the Underground Railroad. Um, but a corporation that is killing the planet, that is, that is underwriting this ceremony for an, for an important divine vessel, um, that, that we live in a country now where very few of us, those of us who have the most money and the most influence write the rules for the rest of us. Um, and we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, that's why I think it's the most urgent piece of American filmmaking. I rambled. It's late. We've, I've been drinking. But um, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it issues a spiritual existential crisis that is fundamental to how everybody feels right now and how we've been feeling for decades. And it's surprising to me that no movie has confronted this, no matter how much we talk privately or politically about climate change and about how if we don't do something, it will be 
the ruin and devastation of us all. And First Reformed is the first movie to tackle that problem head on narratively in a way that is also deeply existential in a spiritual way. Yeah. So this is two years in a row where I talked for 10 minutes on my number two movie of the year. But What was number two last year? Quite Passion. Oh, right. But I, 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 I think First Reformed is a hugely important film. And I'm just talking about its messaging. I'm not talking about its tight control over plot, its fascinating relationship with lighting. Um, obviously, it's Brissonian and Bergman qualities. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. I, I, I think it's amazing. Now available on Prime. Moving okay. On. Number one, my number one, which ties closely, I think, with First Reformed, is Lee Chang Dong's Burning. Mm. Because it, too, is about a main character... Uh, Jong Su, who I think the quote is, I don't have it pulled up, but he says, I don't understand this world or something like that. Um, it's about isolation. It's about, uh, it's about a lot of emptiness. things. Huh? Emptiness. Um, Searching for answers that you'll never find. Yeah. Find, you know, trying to find your place in the world and, and just, you know, you never will. It's about anger. Anger. It's, it's about, about cats. It's about a great hunger. It's about cats. It's about uh, what is the meaning of this life we live. Um, but then it's also a genre-bending, shape-shifting, mesmerizing masterpiece. It, it goes from, like, quirky romance to, like, a harrowing thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, in the blink of an eye, it's two and a half hours long. It feels like a tight 80, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I love burning. It makes me feel... The first time I saw it, I didn't know what to do with it, and then I, like cried driving home thinking about it and haven't stopped thinking about it since um another trio of performances that is incredible real Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. all of your life and what's Mm -hmm. not real including your station in life and just because you assign importance to something doesn't mean the rest of the world reflects that back upon you Mm -hmm. steven yun is hot your obsessions are meaningless yeah (laughs) i i think a lot about when uh jung soo goes to meet ben at the cafe and Ben is with that girl and she starts talking and it's like, there's a pan as if we, she wasn't in the scene at all. Yet. Yeah. And it's like, there's a reveal that Ben was not alone. Yes. And yeah. It is a really, it's a, the way that it speaks to feminine agency is really interesting, layered, complex. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, and it's all summed up in the twilight dance. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the best scene of the year. Best scene of the year. Jaime's dance against, against Tootin Trumpets. North Korean sunset. It's the rare Fun. Mo- it's, it's the rare movie that, upon second viewing, frustrated me so much that I hated the experience of watching the movie. And that made me love it even more. <laughs> because, like, Zama... Well, uh, maybe we'll talk about Zama. Maybe we won't. Like, that, 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 oh. that sense of looking for resolution, that sense of trying to get a firm grip on the plot and being so confounded and frustrated that it's not going in the direction that you want it to is so integral to your protagonist's journey and to the message of the entire movie. Okay. It's a movie where your own frustration with it, we talk about how, mo- how awful it is to say, like, well, that's the point. Yeah. But... Props to Lee Chang Dong for being able to craft such a captivating film that is also so frustrating in, mm-hmm. in what it lacks. Yeah. Because all the places where you're looking for resolution and where you're looking for answers, you were denied them. And that it can be really maddening as a viewer. Yeah. Looking for answers. There are none, just like in life. Yeah. And and I, I think Yuan gives the best performance, uh, the best uh, leading male performance of the year. Oh, Yuan, yeah. yeah. And then Stephen Young gives the best... Supporting male performance of the year. He's hot. I'm just going to keep saying They're how both hot, hot he is. Hot. Everyone in this movie is so hot. hot. Go see Burning. 
I, I don't one. know how you can go see it, but go see it. It'll be on it VOD. It is still like around. Yeah. Theaters. It's been playing. It'll be on VOD. It's, it's on Blu-ray in like two weeks or something. Oh, great. Hopefully, I'm buy it. if you live in Los Angeles, you were at the screening last night. If you're watching, oh, if yeah. you're listening to this on the day of release at the Egyptian where Justin Chang is interviewing Lee Chung Dong after the film. Uh, I love that. Uh, I will hopefully be there. See you there. For my third time. Oh, nice. My number one film of the year, which we just talked about on an episode, so I feel like I don't need to go on about it. And its central thesis of the episode was, why are you listening to us talk about yeah. this? Go see it. Is Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk. It, no movie got under my skin the way that If Beale Street Could Talk did. I saw it at TIFF, and it was immediately my number one movie of the year. And then as I saw other movies I loved all year, I would be like, this is my favorite movie of the year now. And then like a week would pass and I'd be like, no, Beale Street's better. And it happened over and over that Beale Street would be knocked from number one and then it would reclaim number one. And it's just, it is a knockout. It's a real knockout. How many loops were you knocked? Like seven. (gasps) Peter could never. Um, It's stunningly acted. It's stunningly directed. It's stunningly edited. It's stunningly scored, Brandon. Best score of the year, Brandon. The second best score of the year. This is like La La Land Moonlight all over again, but you're on the wrong side. He's able to bring all of his influences that he talks about so much, like Ho Shou Shen and... Claire Denis and Jacques Demy and you see all of it. The Demy is what kills me in this film. And it's just, but it's in such service of his own unique vision and this story that has never been told. And it's in, it's the first Baldwin adaptation and it's flawless. I do want to say, this is such a boring road to go down, but it came to me and I'd like to say it. When you talk about a filmmaker who wears their influences on their sleeves, you have to differentiate between like a Tarantino and a Barry Jenkins here because I think we all like Tarantino and the Douglas Sirk. I, oh, of course, I of meant course. To yeah. him too. We all we all like Tarantino here, but he wears his he 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 is blatantly stealing. Uh, mm-hmm. As Paul Schrader says, like all filmmakers do, our steal and rehash. It, it's just about presenting it in some sort of new way. Barry Jenkins is able to synthesize all of his influences in a way that feels singularly him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in service of new ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and he's and he's placing these elements and locations that you're not used to or, or in emotions you're not used to i think why am i thinking of jacques demy uh in a conversation between uh a wrongly accused incarcerated black man and his pregnant girlfriend on the other side of glass yeah why am i thinking of jacques demy mm-hmm. you know because of the yellow and douglas Sirk, like the yellow backdrop of the yeah. of the prison behind him but it's not like i'm thinking oh that's what it is yeah Whereas with Tarantino, it's very much, I don't want to talk about Tarantino for all this bridging and stuff, but it's not about like unlocking influences to get at what he's going for. It's just this incredible palette that he's drawing from in a way that still feels emotionally his clear as a bell. For me, it's not just the the swirling of style. It's the multi-layered tones that he's working with in this movie, how we get, I feel like I've said like 10 things for the scene of the year, but maybe the scene of the year, which is when the two families meet to discuss, um, the child that's going to be brought into the, the world. Li- the good liquor out. Yes, when they get the My good liquor out. thing, they get the good liquor out. But get the good glasses. Barry Jen- Don't they get the good glasses out I too? So. Barry Jenkins builds like 10 separate characterizations mm-hmm. with his actor, with his brilliant actors, of yeah. course. Um, but it's really funny. Um, and it's sad. Um, it, it just, that scene encapsulates this whole mishmash of perfectly balanced tones for me. Yeah. I, it's, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And it's in, in, in the, the first sex scene is astonishingly sensual. 
and I'm just going to think about Tish's face forever. Yeah. <laughs> the first time she gets on that bed and I'm going to think about Fani and his undies as well. I need to watch yeah. it again so I can spot give me my screener dick. so I can spot that dick. Watch this <laughs> space. Watch this. I don't dick. have your screener. I have it. I'll give it back to you. I'm going to watch it again. Are you sure you don't have my destroyer screener? No, I wish I had your destroyer screener. I'm going to gift it to someone. It. I'm going to gift it to someone on Friday. That's a great that. gift. I'm giving your eighth grade screener to somebody. Good. If that's okay. The trash? Oh, get the fuck out. <laughs> okay, what's your number one? Oh, okay, well, I had more to say about Beale Street. Just quickly. No. We got to go. Just Brian Tyree Henry. I'm Regina. burning. Great. Just Regina King. That's it. I'm burning. Okay. My number Brian one. Brian Tyree Henry. My... Well, now you brought him up. Now I got to pop off. See? There's other stuff. Here's honestly. If we it... had an episode about it. If anyone's still listening to this three hours in, they're going to finish the episode. It's like you with 24 frames when those people walked yeah, but, out 19 but, but frames in. But this side of the table is not going to finish the episode because we're going to fall asleep. We're, we're done. We're basically <laughs> okay, done. Let's talk about Brian Tyree Henry is also in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Thank you. Okay. That's all I wanted Let's to say. Go watch Atlanta. My number one movie of the year is Lucrecia Martel Zama. Zama. I feel like if you've ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place, or if you've ever had dreams, you'll relate to the film. And that the film, <laughs> the film does you the kindness, which no one else will do to you, which is to say no to your dreams and say right. no to your hopes. Mm. More so... It's a maddening, mind-bending look at colonialism as bureaucratic purgatory. Um, I think Don Diego de Zama is the problematic saint of the year, um, just in terms of someone who is giving it all he's got. He's punching in and out. He's doing his best, and he's not getting anything in return for it. But maybe he doesn't deserve to. He's kind of a bastard. <laughs> um, but uh, Martel is... Martel works with sound in a way that no other filmmaker does. The way that she's able to squeeze together an environment of disparate sounds and build both the mood of environment and the um, crazy-making inner workings of a character's brain is just astonishing to me. Um, I feel so self-conscious now since I've been told that we need to finish the episode. <laughs> and well, I went we last. do. Yeah, I know. Um, so, fuck. I mean... <laughs> I'm going to feel bad for saying anything else now. So say it. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Go watch it on Prime. Listen to the episode. It is on Prime. It is on Prime. I think about And we did an episode on it. The the opening when the woman calls him a voyeur and he slaps her. That's yeah. That's the scene. Voyeur has stuck with me. It's a um it's it's the world's favorite cock. It's Don Diego de Zama. Stick your stumps in the sand, bitch. Bitch, it's it's if you've ever if you've ever felt like a fish who's being rejected by the water, but you can't walk on shore and you're stuck in that really dirty place for, in the shallow. In the shallow. <gasps> so we will talk about the shallow. Wow. Here then it you is. might be Don Diego de Zama. Wow. Fuck yeah. I'm not gonna say anything else. It's my favorite movie of the year. I love that. All right, let's wrap it up. I'm driving. <laughs> so this has been the longest episode. I like that when I said we need to wrap it up, you go to, well, the audience listening, and I'm only thinking about myself. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying that an audience is getting a lot out of this. I'm saying if you've made it this far, I imagine, like the audience members. Is this officially our longest episode? Yeah, 100%. I'm sure it is. Hell yeah. 100%. But thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Movies IMO. This has been our year-end wrap-up for 2018, although we are doing the Ballad of Buster Scruggs next week. That's true. It'll clock in at 90 minutes, so it'll be half the length of this. 60. See, I have to say, I think that I've had the ultimate laugh in this episode. Why? Because don't you feel a little disoriented? 
a little shut up a little crazy in your head i hate you no like you're just tired yes you're tired because you'd like to go to bed the last and yet last we're still on this episode we're not quite done yet does everyone feel like we're burning alive you wow. want to go to salta burning. you want to get out of paraguay you're you're sick of serving this crown that won't let you leave and won't let you progress to the place. Ben wants you want just to. us lay down with his cat. This episode was Zama. Wow. I hate you. Next week we're talking about the Battle of Buster Scruggs. It'll be a quickie. Thank you if you listen to the whole thing. Um, just want to say I I love talking about movies with y'all and I'm glad to have another year of this under our belt. God, you have to get sincere always. <laughs> Jesus Christ, let's just cut it. <laughs> Is that the end? No, we no, have we have to say goodbye. <laughs> God, that's incredibly rude. My name is Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> so rude. You were the one that pushed this long. No, I didn't. I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at DK Kirby. My display name is John Ranserberger. Stan account. Thank you. Nice. Is that your ad? No, it's my display name. Oh, got it. Sure. My at is BK Kirby. Maybe I'll change my at to John Ratzenberger's yeah, account. You should. <laughs> my name is Ben MD. You can find me on Twitter at Real Toppings. Movies. What are they good for? The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.